Gay and gay violence. Total gay and gay violence. Cameron Hodge destroys the Castro. Like, come on, honey, get your shit together. There's no need to go this extreme. It's so rude. He's a rude guy. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is Luis Lopez, a comics fan of great knowledge and renown to me anyway. Luis has been my friend for over a decade. He has been helping me out as a moderator in the Cerebro fan discord, which I have really appreciated. And I knew that he would kill me if I didn't let him come on to talk about the gay Mexican X-Man. So here we are to talk about Julio Richter, the superhero Richter, spelled differently. Weird code name, honestly. We'll get into it. One of the wards of X-Factor in the Simonson X-Factor run eventually became a new mutant, then a member of X-Force, and then had a long run as part of Peter David's X-Factor investigations. He is now part of Betsy Braddock's new roster of Excalibur, written by Teeny Howard and drawn by Marcus Toe, where he has expanded his vibe powers into druidic magic and is kind of having a bad time. <laughs> but also a good time depends on the moment lou how are you today i'm doing really good um you know i'm really excited to be on the show thank you for having me i know i'm probably like the least known person well, not, i am the least known person that's been on here so far <laughs> so um i appreciate the charity well you know again i've known you for a very long time and you have been involved in the pod so it made sense to me I know you wanted to do Cannonball, and someone had already claimed Cannonball. The schedule, though, has gotten all bounced around, so Cannonball is happening after this episode. But, you know, once I had denied you your absolute fave, Sam Guthrie, I couldn't possibly deny you Richter, who I know you love. And I, my understanding is that in advance of this, you reread every comic he appears in. It's funny, like, a lot of those comics I had not read before. Mm -hmm. um, like, I'm familiar, with, I'm familiar with the character. I, you know, you mentioned I'm you know, the Mexican mutants and stuff. Um, I am Mexican-American, Puerto Rican. So I do kind of keep um, an eye on all the Latina characters that are around. So Richter's definitely one that I've been keeping an eye on lately, and especially as his, his, his star has risen, you know, in, in X-Factor investigations. And he's been used a little bit more. Um, I'd found a, a new, like, exciting love for the character. And it was able to go back and, like, read his origins in X-Factor, um, through X-Force and, you know, into today, Otini and Excalibur. Yeah. Well, why don't you, to start, give us your origin story with the X-Men, how you came to love these characters in this world. I know you're a lifelong fan, so just take it away for the listeners. Also, actually, before we begin, I am recording outside on the veranda here at my Airbnb in LA because... The Wi-Fi is not working in the Airbnb. It is only working out here on the lanai or the veranda or whatever you want. It's a porch. So if there's heavier ambient noise than there usually is on this podcast, I apologize. I'm going to try to do noise reduction, but we'll see how this goes. I can like hear the cars zooming by and I'm like, oh shit. I'm not hearing any of it. So you sound great. 
Okay, well, good. Then in that case, I mean, maybe it just won't be that audible. We don't know. We d- we never. <laughs> the, it's so finicky audio recording. I, I find that like the smallest detail of like where in a room I'm sitting or how I hold the microphone, like what angle, like it just an episode can come out sounding flawless or can come out sounding like I am recording it from inside a tuna can. So we will see how it all turns out. If it sucks, you've got a couple more episodes this month that while well, I'm in LA, so I apologize in advance. But um, now with that disclaimer out of the way, Lou, why don't you dig into your origin story? Well, like most geriatric millennials, I got into the X-Men through the cartoon. I, wa- I remember watching it like the first night it premiered. It was It completely caught my imagination. All these characters, you know, you got Jubilee with you know exciting fireworks you have storm speechifying all over the place you got rogue being like a bombshell i just you know i love them i watch the show all the time i was able to catch a few like get a few comics at at a local comic shop i remember my first comic i ever bought was a jim lee issue i remember salak being on the cover it was mojo 2 was in it and there was like some weird um wizard of oz thing so yeah i was able to get into all of that and something that probably other people don't don't remember um back in the 90s there was like quake used to be really big it was like a first person shooter quake the computer game not yeah, Daisy johnson agent of shield yeah it was like a weird um you know like a marines going into like an alien world and like demons and stuff well they used to make mods for it there was that licensed x-men yes quake it was mod. a licensed yeah. x-men game they typically don't they typically don't sell those things like in, in a box but i remember you know my aunt got it for me and I played the hell out of that thing. It was so weird. There was like, the main character was this weird cyborg guy that had like guns. But then the multiplayer was really where it was at because you could play as the X-Men. Right. And the servers would turn off all the guns. So you would just be able to use like the, each character had only like two powers or whatever. Had like a power, right. Iceman was in it. Cannonball was in it. Archangel. My favorite was Jean because she was hella like cheap. So if you're like in a lava level, she could use her telekinesis and just like throw people in the lava and it like instantly kill them. <laughs> the only time I love Jean more than anyone else. I was always so tempted to buy that, but I'm so bad at first person shooter games that I mean, you know this, we've played Overwatch together. So as a child, I was just like, there's no way I'm going to be any good at this. <laughs> so I didn't buy it. But I remember watching like people play it. Yeah, because I, I must have been like, what, like 11 and so you would have even been like a child child, so. Yeah, well, not you're not that much older than me. How old are you? I'm 33. Oh, okay. So it's only like two years. Yeah. Everyone, I, was, I have it in my head like you're like five years younger than I am for whatever reason. That's just because you're always making fun of me for being old in my soul. Sure. I think you've exaggerated how not old I am in your head as because your thing is always like, why are we talking about 80s comics? You know what I mean? So... I, I think maybe that accentuated your head, but I'm actually only two years younger than you. But you got the last laugh in this whole Krakoa era. I sure did. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, my old man obsessive compulsive knowledge is extremely helpful to have. So I'm delighted to share my... Your expertise with the world. Yeah, I was going to say like my unhealthy obsession with the world, but oh. I'll take expertise. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, listen... If you can make your neurosis work for you, that's the goal, right? Yeah. So I played X-Men Quake with a bunch of people online, and they actually got me into doing X-Men RP, which, you know, Kendra mentioned a few episodes ago that she was into that scene as well. Yeah, so that was something that I did from like 12 years old till, you know, whenever I stopped. 
I never did much of that. I did a little bit of it once, very briefly. Can you guess which characters I played? Um, my guess would be like, let's say Polaris. I did play Polaris. I also played Tarot and Roulette at different times. Yeah. So I was always old. You want to guess who I played? You played Cannonball, obviously. Cannonball for sure. Big Gambit was actually the big one. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you're a big Gambit head. That's something that we've always disagreed on. Not that, like, again, I don't hate Gambit, but I, like, I've like i used the word gambivalent before on the podcast, yeah. and that's just sort of how I've always felt about it. But you are a big Gambit fan. Like, your favorite characters, I would say, historically are Cannonball and Gambit, right? Like, those are sort of the two. But you were also invested in richter and sunspot because of like the latino element is my recollection my top two are cyclops and emma i feel like i just got really super invested into the x-men comics of like even though i read some when i was younger i didn't really feel super invested until i was in college so that's kind of the um the morrison era back reading it to morrison and then um going forward when Scott and Emma were basically running everything. Yeah. I love them. Cannonball is always a fave. Yeah, I just feel like you kind of, with with the X-Men, no, you seem pretty loyal to like the people that you love. No, there's ebb and flow. I mean, like Betsy was my favorite and then I fell off with her because I wasn't into Ninja Betsy as much. And now we're back and I'm like back on board. Emma really wasn't my fave until Morrison and then like rocketed to the top. And Storm is one where I was obsessed with her when I was a kid. And then when they shuffled her off to Wakanda, I kind of lost interest for a long time. And I'm like reconnecting with her now. You know what I mean? So, you know, I think it's natural with these characters to kind of ebb and flow because some writers really give a shit about certain characters and other writers don't. And so it makes sense if you're reading a run where the writer doesn't really care about Storm. And I know this isn't true for everyone because especially with Storm and Jean and Betsy, like the women have these very ride or die fan bases that you could, who who will just follow them through any bad storyline. And I applaud that. I do think sometimes... I need like a minute if a storyline is not doing it for me. Yeah. And I wouldn't even say it's like if the sometimes it isn't, it isn't that the writer doesn't care about the character. It's just like they look at them as a diff, in a different way that you do, which I feel like was the issue with Storm for a while there. Absolutely. I think with Storm also, I mean, like I love Claremont Storm so much and the 90s Storm, I don't think there's a lot to her. And then Claremont has her again and it's pretty good. And then I just, I don't know, she got sort of shuffled off to Avengers and Fantastic Four stuff that I didn't want to read. So that was a bummer for me. And she kind of was in the background in a way that was odd. It's interesting, like Bendis's take on Emma was so different from my take on Emma, at least at first. I think it evened out like as it went on. But the immediately post AVX Emma was just like so not my take on Emma that I actually was like, I need a break from the comics for a bit because... Just killing children, you mean? That was Inhumans versus X Men, and that I was that I, that made me so angry. I, I tweeted about it, which I regret doing because you shouldn't, you know. People can see that. Keep your. <laughs> so, what I'd love to hear about is your attachment to Richter, how you came to love this character in the X Factor Investigations run, what you like about him in specific and what you think is the special X factor, no pun intended, to this character. (laughs) I'm sure you would agree. And it's probably part of the reason why uh, we're doing this. One could say that I might have a little bit of a similar like disposition to Richter. 
I can be a little bit sardonic. I can be a little bit moody sometimes. No. (laughs) Yeah, I think of you as kind of like a sad gay. I don't mean like sad, like your life is sad, but I think that you have, you bring that energy of like, you're not the life of the party gay. You're like sort of the shy gay, like sort of the like, you know, quiet gay. And I think that Richter has particularly in X-Factor Investigations, that energy. It's not really the energy he had in X-Factor New Mutants X-Force. But after he gets depowered in the decimation, that's very much like his vibe. And I think that that's kind of been consistent ever since in the 16 years that have followed. This might be jumping ahead, but part of me wonders, because I'm noticing this kind of like trend in X-Factor Investigations and then later in Excalibur, where he's not necessarily interacting with the people that he's totally comfortable with. Because you see that he acts very different, like when uh, Tabitha is around. Right, like when Boom Boom shows up, he's like very, you know, animated. He slips back into his, um, you know, X-Force. Machismo, jokey kind of vibe, yeah. Yeah, they're a team bitch. I really love them together. They're very fun. They are fun, and the fact that they used to date is really funny now. I wish someone would, like, dig into that a bit, because that's just a funny... Like, Tabby feels like the kind of person who dates a lot of gay men who don't know they're gay yet or who haven't come out yet. Like, that does feel very her. Yeah. Wait, they dated? Yeah, like, very briefly. It's sort of, like, tail end of New Mutants into X-Force. Okay. He's into her in X-Factor. They're, like, kind of maybe going out a little bit. And then it ends toward the end of New Mutants X-Force because then he gets with Rain. Yes. And she hates him. (laughs) Right. And then Tabitha gets with Sam and then Richter tries to get back with Tabitha and she's like, no, I'm with Sam. You know, I do remember that. Yeah. That's like, is that like the, um, the lesser X team version of like dating Polaris? The next generation down version of dating Polaris is dating Boom Boom for sure. Look at Sam and Beto. I mean, you know, they're still beating around the bush as it were, but (laughs) I, I do think that Those three would have been a lot happier if instead of a love triangle, they had, you know, just figured out a triangle that worked for them in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe we'll get there with Izzy, but... Yeah, I'm interested in your... Well, I guess we're not talking about Cannonball, but we will end up talking about Cannonball because you can't help yourself. Oh, I love X-Force. I know you do. I know you do. And well, luckily, we'll get to talk about X-Force here. I think I'm always... I tend to gravitate, at least maybe when I was younger, to the characters like... Gambit, like Superboy, Kyle Rayner, like the kind of like the dark haired, like kind of like cool dude. Like I used to always get made fun of because I like was into those characters. Like Hawkeye was my favorite Avenger for a while. The bad boys. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that should have been like a red flag about me being gay. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing that makes you sort of similar to Richter, right? Is that you didn't come to terms with that until you were a little bit older. Yeah, I would say like early to mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it wasn't like, you know, and a lot of my friends, you know, I'm sure you identify with this where they kind of just know almost immediately or like even into their teens that they are, it was something that, yeah, that I really had to come to terms with. It was, it was, it wasn't like I ever fought anything. It was just like, I didn't have the words or like the ideas just because of like, we didn't have the same sort of representation when we were younger. Yeah. Um, I would say even online, my community was pretty straight. It wasn't until I met, like, I would say almost like Luke. Yeah. 
Luke will be on next week to talk about Shatterstar. <laughs> Luke is the other, uh, well, there are three mods now in the Cerebro Discord, but Luke is the other OG mod who has been helping me out and is also a friend of about a decade. So I'm excited to do that episode as well. But yes, that makes sense. I mean, you often need like a gateway gay to say like, hello there. Do you have thoughts that you need to talk about? You know, like that kind of. To hand you a vodka soda and like push you out into the world. Yeah, like gently push you out of the gay nest into the gay sky, right? Yes. So he so he has that vibe. He has that vibe of like that like cool the vibe. Uh-huh. Because the vibe is his power. Yes. And... Like even though I didn't read those early comics, you you'd always see I I read Wizard all the time. So like you'd get mm-hmm. images and like Richter, you know, he had the long hair, he had like the fringe on his jacket or on his sleeves and like he just looked really cool. And he was a Mexican, so like that's double points right there. Like, that's great. Yeah, I mean, because it is interesting to think about, and I know that you have talked about this a lot because you have um, like a con, like jam piece that you have gotten commissions for with all the different Latinx superheroes at Marvel. And there aren't that many, particularly in the X-Men. We're getting sort of more, but it's historically just not that commonplace. You have Roberto, you have Magma, but let's not get into it. You have <laughs> Richter, who's Mexican, Cecilia Reyes, who's Puerto Rican, Risque, who's Cuban, and I think she might also be Native American. Yes, I think that's what it is. She's Native American and Cuban. But that's kind of it oh i guess uh wind dancer i'm like trying to think but there's not that many characters well that was the that was the cool thing about like early x-force we had feral richter and um sunspot on the team at the same time which is like i don't think we've ever had that no that's probably the most ever yeah that's probably the most ever for sure maybe terry blast or someone will get like the chance to do like a little x-men run and then we'll do our own little like latin (laughs) x-men latin x-men at the very least, that's begging for like a voices issue. I feel yeah. like, you know what I mean? Maybe in uh, in September, October for Hispanic Heritage Month. Yeah, that would make sense. I did forget Feral and Thorn, but that's because they're cat people. So I sometimes just forget that they have like any human ethnicity because I just look at them and they're like, you're cat people. Like, it's yeah, not- <laughs> you, it tends to be that way with like stuff like that and like people through different colors yeah we're gonna get into that in the bling episode i'm sure because it's particularly i think an issue for black mutants yeah is that where you came in with him for the first time in x-force in the 90s like was that your first exposure to the character we were kind of like poor when i was younger Mm -hmm. so we didn't have the money to be buying comics all the time so I, i was only able to get like subscriptions so for the longest time the only comics i was reading was like generation x um, mm-hmm. Ultimate X-Men and Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, Skin. Skin is yes. another one. Sweet baby Skin. I mean, he's been, he was dead for so long. Like, the nice thing about Krakoa is that we can bring back all these characters, Yeah, it was, right? nice, it was nice seeing him again in uh, this past issue of X-Men. Yeah, he was so hyped for Sync to make the team. It was really cute. That's his boy. So I mostly got, I got mostly acquainted with Richter, like, in X-Factor Investigations. Because he wasn't really doing much between, like, there was... He was he was in X Force, but he was always kind of like leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back. Yeah, because he gets written out a couple different times. Like there's a weird tendency in those stories for Richter to just pack up and leave. Like first, if you're not familiar with this character, his backstory is that his family are basically arms dealers for the cartel. Which is crazy. It's so <laughs> funny. Like he made like 
you literally like if you go to like the Hollywood version of like what Mexico is like his origin is that it's just that it's like savages starring Blake Lively like it's yes, that beautiful savages <laughs> Salma Hayek yanking her wig off and screaming as like sugar skull masks drive around on motorcycles that is a terrible racist movie it has a very important place in our heart yeah very important piece of cinema in the awful movie. It's really a stacked cast. It's like Benicio Del Toro, Salma Hayek, Damien Bashir, who's like an Academy Award nominee, Blake Lively, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, and Taylor Kitsch. All those people were quite famous. So it was just a I'm very surprised they weird... didn't have Spaniards playing Mexican in that movie. That would have made sense for it. Like Penelope Cruz or something. You would think, but no, they actually got Salma for it. She really gives it her all in that fucking movie. It is uh, it is a tour de force. It's camp. But, like, also really horrible, unpleasant things happen in it. I'm not actually suggesting you rent this, but, like, you know. Anyway. Oliver Stone, weird guy. Does it have that orange filter that is always, like, Mexico? Yeah, it's like that yellowy orange, like, oh. here we are in Mexico now. It's like how whenever they go north of the wall on Game of Thrones, suddenly everything is, blue. like, cyan. Yeah. yeah. To the point where, I mean, that show really annoyed me with the color grading. It's lazy shorthand, right? Yeah. It does make it look cold, but it also meant that Melisandre was just purple all the time when she was walking around up north. And it was like, she's the red woman. She's supposed to be this striking bright red color against the snow. It looks like blood in the snow, except she was walking around and she was just like plum colored because they, I'm like, can't you color correct her to look different from the rest of, anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so Richter has one of the more cliche ethnic stereotype backstories. Oh, I don't know. Skin's kind of like a cholo. Oh yeah, skin. And he think he has like gang, gang, LA gang stuff in his, his in his backstory. Yeah, too. no, he does. You're right. You'll have to come back for the skin episode. That's a Gen X character I don't have on the schedule yet. It's funny because like it is very like I don't want to say racist. It's dodgy. It's very stereotypical, but. He's one of the few X-Men that actually has like a pretty decent like backstory. He can do stuff in Mexico, which is I don't really think that we really get that from like, say, Feral or even like, I don't know, just even these like Wolverine and the X-Men kids. There's there's a lot of story potential in that background that we haven't really seen since X-Force. Yeah, because he's not Mexican-American. He's actually mm -hmm. from Mexico. You get that kind of giant-sized team thing like from the yes. 70s where they actually were like an international team. A lot of the time, I think these characters end up couched through an American experience. Mm -hmm. Farrell and Thorne, for example, are from New York City, is my recollection. Mm -hmm. Cecilia's from Puerto Rico. It's not that common for the character to actually be from a Latin American country to come to America as part of the plot, the way that Beto comes from Brazil in New Mutants or Sean comes from Vietnam in New Mutants. Or Ileana comes from hell. You know, like we've got... <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of immigrant experiences. Don't call Russia hell. She was in Russia for like a minute <laughs> and then she was in literally hell. She is like limbo American more than anything else. His origin's very funny, at least with me, because even though we are familiar, he hates San Francisco, which is like... If you know me, you know that like I was born and raised there. Like mm -hmm. it, I still live like 30, 45 minutes away from it. Um, so every time you like talk shit on San Francisco, it's very funny to me. <laughs> it's like, oh, Richter, we were, I thought we were best friends. Yeah, well, you know, nobody's perfect, right? I love San Francisco, but it is the most expensive city I have ever been to in my life, probably. It's like worse than London. More than New York? Oh, it's absolutely worse than New York. Huh. These days, it didn't used to be. 
You know what also has gotten crazy expensive? Vancouver. I was stunned at how, because of all the film and TV up there now. That makes sense too, because it's like one of the most beautiful parts of Canada. And there's wine country up there. And Yeah. Anyway, this is not an Alpha Flight podcast today. <laughs> but I couldn't even name an Alpha Flight person that's from Vancouver if I tried. The thing that's interesting about Richter is that he has these really close connections, but I feel like in the 90s, and this sort of continues through X-Factor investigations, there was almost a concerted effort to like de-ethnicize him. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the 80s material, he has the same... The magenta. The magenta, the same magenta skin tone that Danny Moonstar and the Proud Stars and Forge all have that is sort of used to suggest indigenous heritage. The implication that I always got being like Richter is supposed to be mestizo. I mean, he has to be like his his last name is Richter, which is, you know. So he's part German, right? Yeah. Like Frida Kahlo was. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a huge amount of German. Like, I think it's like the one of the largest populations of Germans outside of the country. You know, that's where the name Richter comes from. Yeah, but he's clearly not white, is what I'm saying. Yes. In like yeah. those early days when he's got a punk aesthetic doing the leather jacket thing. That continues into the Liefeld run. Like Liefeld continues to render, I mean, or whatever colorist Liefeld's working with, I don't remember, continues to do the sort of magenta thing. But then when they move into the more 90s coloring style that was more complex, he's suddenly pretty much the same skin color as everybody else, which I found jarring. And I feel like it's not until very recently that that's been corrected, really. Like in Excalibur, he looks the proper skin tone in terms of an evolution of the 80s yeah. Richter. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just interesting because there is like, um, I feel like almost every character that of the color kind of goes through this where you're kind of having to like, they almost get a little bit lighter. You see like American Chavez, she gets a little bit lighter as she goes on. And mm -hmm. then we're kind of having to, um, you know, pull back on it. I mean, you were talking about representation earlier and how you didn't have a lot of gay representation like also you know these comics did not have a lot of racially diverse representation and so for Richter to suddenly look like a white guy for most of the 90s and aughts was like that's not great that's the funny thing too like as Latina as a person of color you, you're kind of like trying to get whatever scraps out of anything like that so like almost as much as like Gambit was hot I kind of I've kind of you know he was he was kind of like a little bit, had like darker brown hair. And mm -hmm. so, I don't know, it kind of, he <laughs> was trying to like look for something. And he had like an accent that othered yes. him. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Much like, you know, we're always looking for queer coded characters. Yeah. It makes sense that if you are shown mostly white characters, that you would gravitate toward ones that you think share certain elements of your experience, even if they aren't actually of your background, right? Like that makes total sense to me. Yeah. And like, um, like you were, yeah, like you were saying with this trying to go for scraps, like when Kyle Rayner got, Kyle Rayner from DC, Green Lantern, when he got revealed by Judd Winnick as being like half Mexican, like stuff like that was really big. You are like the biggest Kyle Rayner fan I know. Well, um, was Kendra also saying she's a huge Kyle Rayner fan? Kendra is also a huge Kyle Rayner fan, but like your Kyle love is truly like you are a, a stan and it makes sense. Yeah. It's fun because it's like a character that you like already and then you're like, oh, surprise. Yeah, you already liked him and then surprise, he's Mexican. That's really cool. Like, the only thing that could make it better would be like if he's also gay and it's like... Right. <laughs> he's an artist. They could go there. I mean, I guess once they went there with Alan Scott, they weren't going to go there with Kyle too. And I guess, you know, Kyle and Jade is probably too good to drop forever, right? Yeah. 
unless they did. I honestly am so behind on DC, years and years behind. I mean, I, sh- I ship him with Donna Troy is my, is oh, my thing. I like the, the artist gotcha. and the photographer. Like, I kind of like that whole... That's cute. I have, like, literally zero opinions on Donna Troy. That character is a mystery to me. But that is so interesting to me. Like, I feel like... You feel like she'd be a character I would really love, right? Yeah. For some reason, she's just never... But I'm also, like, I'm not a Wonder Woman gay. Like, I never have been. Like, I think Wonder Woman is cool. I like the Greg Rucka Wonder Woman. I liked Steve's run on Wonder Woman that mm-hmm. he just did recently. But, like, I've just never been a huge Wonder Woman head. Phil Jimenez is listening to this podcast right now. Just like I know, he's like, Ugh. Devastated, I know. Phil, I'm a big you fan. I'll read anything you write or draw. Yeah, I have a really lovely Phil Jimenez, Donna Troy. He draws her better than anybody else. That's true. He's gonna, he really is going to come up and cut your wigs up. I've told him this before. It's just on that Teen Titans team, I gravitated more towards Starfire and Raven, I think. How are we friends? I know, right? Our taste in like women are so completely different. We have Venn diagrams. Like We both love Emma. We, yeah, we both love Emma. You like Rogue, kind of. I like Rogue, yeah. I'm just like, she was never like my girl. Uh, Because honestly, because I didn't care that much about Gambit. So when it was all Rogue and Gambit suddenly in the 90s, I lost interest. Whereas like 80s Rogue, who's struggling with the Carol personality in her head and is kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. And like flying around and like attacking people, you know, getting into fights at Bloomingdale's and whatnot. Like that's the Rogue I truly love. Yeah. Emma is almost like off brand for me. Because they tend to, like I mentioned She-Hulk earlier, I love like 90s Rogue. You love like a tough, yeah, that, funny gal. Like, whereas I'm like, I love a cold, murderous bitch. Like, yeah, there's I need someone that like is just going to run in and just like start punching and going crazy. Like, I just, yeah. I love that type of woman. I don't know what that says about me. I think it's because I grew up a lot of Puerto Rican women. That's probably, that's probably it. Right, because you're also Puerto Rican. You have yeah. a mixed Latin heritage, which is not an uncommon experience and is something that you don't see in comics very often. It would be nice to see more of that at some point. Oddly uncommon here in the West Coast. There's not that many Puerto Ricans out here, so I don't know how I happened. That's true, but it's New York, you know? most Marvel Comics is New York most of the time. That's true. Is there Dominican X-Men? Oh, um, Darwin. I can't think of anyone else, though. No, Darwin is um, half African-American and half, like, undetermined Latino. I don't think he's Dominican. Cecilia is Afro-Puerto Rican. For sure. And Saspan is Afro-Brazilian, but those are the only Afro-Latino mutants I can think of. Of course, I guess, I mean, Feral and Thorn might be, but we don't know, so. I couldn't look at them as Puerto Rican. I don't know why. That seemed like the vibe to me because... Their backstory feels very, like, West Side Story adjacent. Mm-hmm. It's very, like, Bronx Tale. Yeah, yeah. So that would make sense. But I don't know that it's been clarified. So what are your favorite Richter tales? He's had a long and winding publication history. Not always on the page. Like we've said, he leaves X-Force mm-hmm. a couple times. He gets written out by John Francis Moore. He's not part of the road trip era. But even before that, there are a couple moments where he leaves because of his ongoing like drama with Cable and Strife and ongoing drama with his criminal family that he needs to deal with south of the border. And Shatterstar will sometimes just like go with him because they were besties. They're gal pals. They're gal pals, you know? He's not always on the team, but when he was, what were the stories you liked best? So it's, it's a little tough because he is, he's always been treated like as a background character. Mm-hmm. Say in X Factor, he's more there to be like flavor with him and Tabby kind of just like going at it. 
in X-Force, he gets a little bit more. We dig back into his backstory. They kind of, they tie him to Cable and Strife, which was, you know, you'd think to be a really great hook to keep the character around. But it doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't. After Executioner's song, Cable just comes back and he's like, oh, Strife killed your father, by the way, not me. And Richter's like, oh, okay. And that's it. Which is kind of, it's kind of fun to me because it he's, it kind of just feeds into Richter being kind of a drama queen. <laughs> Which is, it's fun to me because he's, you know, he tends to be more reserved, but he really is like pretty dramatic. They kind of have to keep creating like reasons for him to just like throw a fit and then leave. Like first it was, he left when he rejoined his friends in X-Force, like when Cable left. And then he kind of stays on, you know, through Executioner's song. We go a little bit further and then we go through that era where Cable and X-Force is going to, they live in the mansion with the rest of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Richter has an issue with uh, using telepathy suddenly. Yes. And he's like, I'm gone. Peace. You can't go into my mind. So he just quits the team. Shatterstar is really upset and begs him to stay. He's so despondent. That's leading into the Jeff Loeb run. It's literally Jeff Loeb's first issue where he quits, is my recollection. He doesn't come back for like... 15 issues, but he does eventually come back. Isn't that when Shatterstar is having the Benjamin Russell plot? I believe so. Don't worry about that. We'll get to that next week. Don't worry yeah. about it if you're listening. Don't worry about Benjamin Russell. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> Most of the stories Fabian kind of mentioned in his episode that like he was pairing characters off. And so Richter and Shatterstar get, get paired off pretty once once they you know start getting a little bit more... Um, Mm-hmm. I want to say like attracted to each other, which is fun because obviously there's like a little bit of a initial tension. Like Richter's like, oh, right. He's obviously like super attracted to Shatterstar, but he just like doesn't know how to how to deal with those feelings. So he's like rude to him. Like you speak another language. You're weird. I don't like you. Yeah. And you're like not of our world. You're an alien. You don't know our culture. You're annoying me with all your questions and your misunderstandings. They have kind of like an odd couple thing because Richter is a streetwise character and Shatterstar is the least streetwise character imaginable, certainly since Magma. Shatterstar, now that I'm thinking of it, is kind of the magma of this era of New Mutants and X-Force. Don't do that to him. I mean, he's never done blackface, so he's ahead of the game on that. But you know what I mean? Like the fish out of water from an alien culture, doesn't know anything about the modern Earth world, has to be taught by the teammates. Teammates, but it was mostly like, it's Richter mostly. Yeah, and in Fabian's last issue on the book, they have this interesting conversation where Shatterstar is like really upset because he sees Richter flirting with these girls and Richter's like, dude, what's up? And he says, I've never been intimate with anyone and I don't know if I can be. I don't know. Like, because he's from this culture where love was beaten out of them. Like the concept of love was never really introduced to the slaves of Mojo yeah, it, World. It feels like he 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 got a little horny. And he did not know what to do with it. Confused about it, right. And Fabian said on his episode that the intention that he had in this scene and in this plot generally was that Shatterstar was gay, didn't have words for that because love was alien to him to begin with. And then the idea that he was gay was something that he didn't have any conception of. He was in love with Richter, but Richter was straight. And the sort of takeaway was going to be, it's okay if your gay friend has a crush on you, don't be homophobic. That was like Fabian's idea. 
And this scene seems like it's building to that because Shatterstar is sort of like, until tonight, I've never felt such stirrings, you know? And he's like looking sort of meaningfully at Richter. And Richter, meanwhile, is like, I talk a good game, but I've never hit a home run either, which is an interesting moment for him because it means that in his relationships with Tabby and Rain, they never had sex, which makes sense because Rain is a mess. <laughs> Well, and at this point, she's like, you know, a very devout Protestant. Well, and she had gone through all that stuff in um, Extinction Agenda as well. I guess it goes through all of that. Yeah. Yeah. But then also like Tabby, you would think like Tabitha is a pretty sexual character. Mm-hmm. You feel like she would have been down, but he was not For sure. is the vibe that I get from that or that like he never asked. You know what I mean? Which is an interesting thing for the future of the character, whether or not it was Fabian's intent. And clearly... Jeff Loeb picked up on the vibe between them because it's during all of that Benjamin Russell stuff when Richter does come back to the team. Well, first, when Richter leaves the team and Shatterstar is like devastated as though it's, it treats it like a breakup and is talking to him like it's a breakup, right? It's almost, he's almost like a little bit more connected than like a breakup. It feels like he it was acting like Richter died. Yeah, it's wild, honestly. Very dramatic. Very dramatic. But so, you know, Jeff Lowe brings Richter back eventually and they do. They start taking turns playing damsel in distress for each other. Yeah. And it's just like, it's clear. And, you know, Loeb talked about this retroactively, but he was writing them as though they were, if not a couple, at least romantically attracted to one another. But it never went anywhere on page before Loeb leaves. And then John Francis Moore writes them both out almost immediately as soon as he takes over the book. It's a shame. I get it because I think Shatterstar on the road trip would have been like a very different vibe. Yeah, but I wanted to see them at that at that fake Burning Man. Talking to Karma, that would have been fun. Yes. I get it because it feels like apart from Warpath and Siren, most of the non-New Mutants X-Force only characters are not on the road trip. It's more of a New Mutants book, you know? Yeah. Yeah, once Danny comes back, it really feels like a New Mutants book. Once Danny comes back, you're like, this is a New Mutants book. Which I was, I was glad for. Like, Yeah, that's the X-Force I like best, is that run. Is that my favorite? I don't know. I can't, it's hard, it's hard to say, like... I like Fabians, and I like the John Francis Moore, and that's really the only 90s X-Force I particularly like. Oh, I love like. Fabian. Fabian and Greg Capullo was, like, my shit. Yeah, that's a good but run. the hard thing is, like, when you do this big reread, like, I, I've read every appearance of Cannonball and Richter within, like, the space of... I would say a month. <laughs> it's hard. Everything gets squished together. I almost wish that like I was able to just do it in a way that I maybe spread it out a little bit more. But I mean, I, I was able to go when I did this, I, I did a second round of Richter reread where I, you know, I read everything at first and then I went back and kind of like skipped through like, you know, picking out key storylines and stuff. Yeah. yeah key storylines and stuff. Um, you know, it was useful. Really, 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 really helped with going back to Excalibur, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. They do come back briefly in the John Francis Moore run. There's that story where they get kidnapped by Arcade. Yes. Richter gets kidnapped by Arcade. Richter gets kidnapped by Arcade so that Shatterstar can be blackmailed into Mm -hmm. becoming a gladiator for Arcade in like a combat arena thing. And uh, Richter, I, I always like the detail... Arcade puts like bottles of nitroglycerin all around Richter so that he can't vibrate. Because Richter's power, if you're reading the current comics, it's expanded dramatically over the last 10 years or so into sort of all kinds of earth control. Definitely got a very huge upgrade recently. Yeah, but in the classic stuff, 
he would always call it my vibe powers because he would vibrate thing. Like he creates essentially seismic waves. He shakes the earth rather than controlling the earth physically, at least in the old stuff. So the idea of like, you can't break free with your power because nitroglycerin explodes when you shake it is like a funny, it's like, oh, arcade, you old son of a gun. Which is, I only know about that because of Crash Bandicoot. That's exactly what I was thinking of was Crash Bandicoot. Oh my God. That's like my entire conception of it's like that and like I think a Bugs Bunny cartoon from like yeah, back the, in the day. The green, the green little boxes that you don't touch because you'll explode. And that sets up a rivalry between Richter and Arcade that then is carried through in X Factor Investigations. So it's a nice little seed for later. Otherwise, the only story they appear in in that period is Fabian comes back and does the 99 annual. I just read that last night. Yeah, it's this wild adventure. I somehow missed it in my whole reread. I don't, I love Marvel Unlimited. It's really great. But like these <laughs> annuals are impossible to find. Like they don't show up on the service at all. And it's like really not well organized with the annuals in particular. You have to know that it's time to read an annual. I feel like most of the yeah. time, unless it's in like a trade collection. But it was fun seeing them together again. They're like, you know... It's a very white Richter, I remember. It's like about as waspy as Richter's ever looked. But it's the most German that Richter will ever get. Sidebar, it's very funny to me that like his name in English, it sounds the same. It's like Richter and Richter. Right. But, like in Spanish, they're two different like sounds. It's Julio Esteban Richter is his name. And then his codename would be Richter. Right. So it's just, I don't know. It's totally a non sequitur but like it th that is very funny to me well it's one of those very weird things the codename richter is not a word no it's not like richter is the scale used to measure yes. earthquakes i always have found this name a little goofy it's like oh of course the guy named richter gets earthquake powers but for some reason simonson decides that his code name should just be his name but spelled wrong yes and it's not like it's a pun. Like, there's no meaning. I mean, I Googled it before this episode, and apparently rapamycin insensitive companion mammalian <laughs> yes. target of rapamycin, yes. Richter, is a protein <laughs> that in humans is encoded by the Richter gene. It's a component of a protein complex that integrates nutrient and growth factor-derived signals to regulate cell growth. However... I don't think that uh, it has any other meaning. And in fact, that Science Wikipedia article has a thing at the top that says not to be confused with Richter. And if you click it, it takes you to the superhero. That is so funny. It's a weird one. It's like, why does Havoc have a K? And it's like, because it's cool. Why is Psylocke spelled that way? Because it's cool. But Richter is just a baffling one to me. The funny thing is, is like this protein is the first thing that comes up in Google. If you Google it, it isn't even the character, which is so funny to mm -hmm. me. I love that for him. I love that for him also. So that annual ties up a plot that Fabian had done earlier mm -hmm. with Adam X that we actually talked about in um, that episode where it's like Martin Strong, who's this guy who is experimenting on mutants and it sort of brings him back and then they bring down that whole sort of operation. But it's pretty tragic. They try to save these children who were created as bio experiments i mean they're not like children anymore they're like adult but they were bred in like this eugenic experiment and they all die at the end and richter and shatterstar are pretty upset about it and that's the end of richter and shatterstar for a long time it's the end of shatterstar until he comes back for the big kiss in x-factor investigations liefeld did some stuff with him in, in between that's true there's that mini series yeah whenever they do x-force reunions 
Shadow Star is one of the characters that's used. Richter is definitely like we kind of just forget about him. Even New Mutants reunions. Um, that's like the one thing I I I, I kind of I find kind of unfortunate is that whenever they do like whenever they you know we'll bring the teams back together. It's like right. Richter was probably on the team the same amount of issues as like Karma. I don't think that's true, but um, it feels like it. There's that chart. Yes, in the last issue of New Mutants, it's very funny. Yeah. Cannonball is like the only character that's in every single issue of New Mutants. Right, because Danny is in Asgard for a bit. My favorite part is that Rusty and Skids are like, they only ha- they have one bar together. Like everyone else has their own bars. And they're like, oh, well, we're just Rusty and Skids. And we're only in like two issues. Yeah, I think that Richter and Boom Boom both get left out of New Mutants reunions because they were the two who were added from Exterminators. And to most people, the New Mutants cast is like that Claremont run. So like you see Karma and Magma in those reunions much more than you see Richter and Boom Boom, even though Karma and Magma were only on the team for short periods of time. And there aren't that many X-Force reunions because X-Force got turned into the Black Ops brand, right? So like the 90s X-Force kind of gets erased and he's kind of left in that nebulous space. I think Siren is also left in a nebulous space. Warpath is left in nebulous space. It's been nice in the Krakoa era to see characters like Boom Boom and Warpath get to be part of the ensemble cast in New Mutants because outside of Dead Souls, where Richter plays a role and Boom Boom plays a role and all that, I just don't think that happens very often for them. No, and, um, you know, you mentioned siren and and warpath warpath you know was a member of the hellions for a while so he was showing up in new mutants he is a new mutants character but he was never part of the new mutants team right because he was a hellion and then siren was an exterminator for not exterminator siren was a fallen angel yeah yes she was a teammate with with a lobster yes and ariel my queen that's yeah the first true troll of siren is that the jamie madrox she dates in fallen angels turns out to be a dupe is that true yes and that should have been an indication to her like stop doing this like long before the pregnancy when did they reveal that whenever they meet up in the 90s he doesn't remember her in x factor or something yeah i did not know this He's just like, oh, yeah, that was a duplicate. So I don't really have personal connections to those memories, but I'm sure you're nice or whatever. Like, I don't really remember exactly how it goes, but she's pissed. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I think those characters tend to kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. And with Richter, you really see it because, you know, after he gets written out of the road trip era in issue 70, like before the road trip even starts, really. Mm -hmm. Apart from that one story in 76 and that one story in the annual, he doesn't appear again, I don't think, until he's in X-Corp in Grant Morrison's new X-Men. Yeah. As like a cameo queen with like Darkstar and Monet and... Sweet Baby Cannibal. Is Sam on that team? It's been a while since I read it. There's like so many X-Corp. They make jokes about him being, about calling him Jet Ass, which I don't like that, but... I'm very protective of my Guthrie family. I know you are. I know you are. I know we talked about skin, but I'll like, we'll have to do like a Jeb once next year or two years from now. I'll do a Jeb Guthrie episode. Jeb or like Joel the racist or somebody. Not Joel. <laughs> Kidding. We're not. Joel does not get her own episode. That was it's a joke. flat scan. 
She is, and she's like the evil one. I mean, she learns the error of her ways, but I mean, that's an interesting character, but I don't think she's appeared a full Zaladane. No, she's only really been in like a few. The problem, sorry, this is where I'm going to get on my Guthrie situation, but like. That's fair. You can do it a little, <laughs> a little bit. I'm going to stop you. I'll give you five minutes to talk about the Guthrie. Exactly. Um, so many of them are just retcon characters and like they've appeared in the background of here and there. Like, I think Paige gets mentioned as being like in Rom an annual and she's like, I don't think she has any lines. No, she's just introduced as like, this is my sister Paige. Yeah. Like, I think Josh Guthrie is the first, which I call him Josh. So because he was called Josh. I'm an old head. Yes. So, um, and I'm like, I'm like trying to ready to fight someone like that is not here. They're like, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Calm down, girl. He's talking about Jay Guthrie Icarus, who becomes known as Jay in Academy X because Josh Foley is Elixir. So they had to figure out a way not to have two Joshes. I mean, we just call him Josh F and Josh G. Yeah, that's what we did in actual school. It's yeah. not that weird. Call them Foley and Guthrie, you know? Uh, yeah, that's what we used to do. I, I, you know, I did RP as Josh Foley. I think I did. Yeah, I did Josh Foley and Josh Guthrie in the same game. And that's why <laughs> I, I think Joshua, Joshua was Josh Guthrie and Foley was Josh Foley, which makes sense because he's like a basketball player. So, you know, it feels like jocks kind of go by the like the last name. At least that's that's how it worked in my head. So to get back to Richter, since he is the subject of the episode, and I'm refusing to let you do a Guthrie family episode right now, you'll have to come back. You could do. You could come back to do Jay. I would do Jay. I would love that. Yeah, wanna, you could do that. Talk about She Lies with Angels so bad. We could have a whole She Lies with Angels revisit. So I first met Richter in Classic X Factor because I was reading yes. the floppies that my dad had around the house. And it's funny, like you say, he's always sort of a background character. But in 80s X Factor, the Simonson X Factor, he's actually a pretty primary character once he comes in. I think it might just because there is, there is in Marvel Limited, there is such a gap with X Factor. Yeah. What issues are the gap? His first appearance is not even in Marvel Unlimited. That's what I was going to say is his first appearance is actually a pretty important story. I mean, of course, yeah. it's his first appearance. I, I, I have read it. I had to, you know, I'm not going to talk about how I found it, but I found it. If they won't put it on Marvel Unlimited, then find a way to read it, I guess. Yes. Well, I can't, you can't do the episode without, you know, reading the first appearance. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think those will be on Marvel Unlimited soon because they're starting to collect those epic collections of Simons yes. and X-Factors. So hopefully yeah. that will help because they just, you know, you need the digital recolors. The big thing, like, where he debuts is that he ran away from home because he didn't want to be involved with his criminal family after his father was murdered. He's been working as a mercenary because he stole some of their weapons that they were dealing, basically. Which is so funny. He's like a 15-year-old. It's not that he's just like a 15-year-old. It's not, it's not like it's not even like CW, like Archie, like I'm hot, but I'm like, you know, I'm actually 25, but I'm like 15. He is like super skinny. He's like a little he's, he's a drawn little as like, yes. yeah, a 15-year-old. He's a little duo with like a spiky with a spiky hair. It's like he has like a faux hawk. I'm not gonna hire this. Well, you know what? Maybe it's like a Google Yubari situation where you're trying to hire someone that's like kind of, you know, you wouldn't expect them to be deadly. Mm -hmm. But I would not hire young Richter as a mercenary. To like be my assassin? No, yes. I would not either. He ends up kidnapped by the right, which is the new anti-mutant organization that has arisen in the Simonson X-Factor run. 
the right is kind of a successor to the purifiers from God Loves, Man Kills, and then eventually kind of gets replaced again by the purifiers. But before that, there's like the Friends of Humanity moment in yeah. the 90s. There's always a group like this. The right is Cameron Hodge's organization, but we don't... Yeah, gay on gay violence. Yeah, gay on gay violence. We don't know that yet when Richter is introduced, but Richter is strapped to a machine, basically, and the right tortures him so that his power will cause a massive earthquake in San Francisco and destroy the city and create anti-mutant prejudice around the world, yada, yada, yada. Again, gay and gay violence. Total gay and gay violence. Cameron Hodge destroys the Castro. Like, come on, honey, get your shit together. There's no need to go this extreme. It's so rude. He's a rude guy. X-Factor, or the Exterminators as they're calling themselves in their pure identities at this point, they rescue him from the right. Jean actually has to kill him for a moment with her telekinesis to turn off his power, but like she, then she starts his heart again. And it's like, whoo, that was a delicate operation. To be fair, he told her to. Yeah, uh, to be, yes, actually, that is not one of those times when Jean just does something. It is a, <laughs> there, that is consensual. Not that Jean, I'm like jumping into to a cape for a white woman for a second, but, you know, <laughs> that it was a character beat where he's like, you know, just kill me or whatever. And she, she finds a way to do it that does not like, you know, end the character forever. Which is an important character beat because Richter having suicidal feelings and ideations is a really central part of the character yes. from that first appearance all the way through to the present. It's something that recurs with him over and over again. So I think that it's notable that the first time it happens is in his very first appearance. Yes. So then he becomes one of their students and yada yada. He is the person who brings up how fucking stupid the X-Factor Exterminators thing is like on the page. And it feels very much like they needed someone who wasn't white to come in and be like, what is this? This is crazy. Like Skids, who is also like a runaway, was initially like, you're the mutant hunters. And then they explained to her and she's like, okay, I guess. Richter's just like, but this doesn't make sense because like you're making it worse. Like you're making the prejudice worse. Yeah, that's what I do appreciate about Richter. Like throughout his entire, this is like a theme going where like, you know, as much as, you know, I make jokes about him being like the snarky character like that talks shit. He is always the one that like is like, talking about talking truth to power really it's like uh you guys are like yes you're helping mutants or whatever but like you're doing this in private the world sees like you know these bunch of mutant hunters it's like you know yeah let me actually just read the exchange between him and rusty collins because i think that it's indicative rusty is hot by the way I'm, I need I need to say that <laughs> both literally and figuratively no i know i know you find rusty hot. i also find rusty hot but he's such a drip so this is an x factor 20 Rusty and Richter are sort of arguing. And Rusty says, hey, you really don't get it, do you? Look, X-Factor may be our guys' public personas, but they're really the bad guys. They're the mutant hunters. And the exterminators are their secret identities. The good guy freedom fighters, mutants like us. But both groups are the same people. And, and then Richter cuts them off and says, no, it's you who don't understand. People, ordinary people, think X-Factor's good because they're human and the exterminators, the mutants, are bad. Only Iceman, Bobby, said you must know people, mutants, by their deeds. And, and he starts vibrating and Rusty he goes, hey, Richter, chill out. You're shaking. Your power is going out of control, which is like, oh, I'm sorry. Was he making too many points that now you need to like, it's very much like a tone argument. Yeah, it, it, it is so like. Don't vibrate too much. Yes. Yeah. Stop being so uh, emotional. Why are you bringing emotion yeah. to this? 
And so then Rusty like goes and tries to fix some of the damage that X Factor caused in the park and Richter goes and helps and, you know, they come to an understanding. But it is Richter who's kind of like, um, no, this whole premise is stupid. Yeah. It's also Richter who exposes Cameron Hodge and his true nature because he meets Cameron Hodge and it's like, oh, that's the voice of the man who tortured me when I was mm-hmm. a prisoner of the right. So he plays a pretty central role in that whole storyline. As much as like Richter's background is very stereotypical, he doesn't ever play like a stereotypical role in in like in the teams that he's on. He's, you know, he's the tech support. He's the one that like no can like kind of see through all the bullshit. Like, you know, in some other stories, they might just like not even recognize that it's the same voice that that Cameron Hodge is speaking. So um, I do appreciate that he's he's not just like, you know, the emotional. He's not just like a Latin lover hothead or whatever. Like, I think that... He's definitely not that. Well, I think that yeah. Beto can sometimes be... No, he definitely is. Richter definitely is not. Or like Feral is like a pretty stereotypical character, right? She's like a spicy Latina-like character, very much. To be fair to Roberto de Cost or Humbert de Corst. Roberto de Corsta. Yes. Um, he's probably the hottest in the X-Men, like... We gotta give we gotta give him that. He's definitely a gorgeous man, and he, you know, it makes sense that people are drawn to him. Whereas Richter has always been very sh- like sort of shy, which is why it's funny that Boom Boom, when she designs costumes for the Exterminators, gives him this very punk look with the vest and the headband and everything. And she's like, "Yeah, you look great." And he's like, "Okay," and he just wears that until Cable ends up putting them all in like those you know uniforms. Yeah, well, I, I just love his. I love his like whole. That's the thing with like new mutants where everyone's kind of like wearing their, they're wearing their culture on their sleeve, like on their body, really. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Danny has her Native American garb. Richter, he's a punk goth. Right. And like Amar is always walking around in like vaguely Roman tinged. It gets very Versace Rome. It's not like yes. actual ancient Rome, but it's Lady Gaga's Babylon. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're doing an ancient city style. That's like yes. Nova Roma's whole aesthetic. Celine is always doing an ancient city style. So right after that fight with Rusty, it leads into this storyline where the right captures the trainees and Richter has like a PTSD reaction and freaks out. Mm -hmm. And he tries to kill everyone in the building with his powers because he would rather die than be tortured and used to do things to hurt other people again. So again, it's like this suicidal moment from Mm -hmm. him. But he's stopped by Leech, who nullifies his power. And then they all get captured besides Boom Boom who ends up freeing Richter, but Richter is still like, death is better than being a servant of the right. Like, I refuse to have my powers used to hurt innocent people. And so they're like dangling. Cameron Hodge is like, and they're like, you know, hanging from a runway thing that's broken apart. And Boom Boom is like hanging. She has her arms around Richter's waist. And Richter is like the one holding on. And... He says, I'm going to shake us loose. We'd be better off dead, really. And Boom Boom says, no, Richter's suicide doesn't make anything better. Angel killed himself and see how much worse he made everything? If he was still alive, there wouldn't have been a reading of his will and none of this would have happened and we wouldn't even be here. Damn. Look, Yeah, which is like, wheezy. Wheezy, like, mm. I mean, you know, Cameron Hodge did orchestrate that suicide attempt to seize control of all of Warren's assets. 
look, I saved you. Now you got to save me. And going up there is the only way to do that. Richter, I don't want to die. And that's what convinces He's like, okay, all right, you win. I'm climbing. After all, you found us and you're just a kid. I bet X Factor will too. They're probably out there right now. And then Cameron Hodge goes, hope springs eternal, doesn't it, Richter? Cameron Hodge is such a dick. He's so funny. I find him hilarious. The talented Mr. Ripley of the (laughs) X-Men. Truly. That's that's the thing I like about Richter. Like, Like, he is very much like a hero. You know, as much as he kind of like wants to... He has this impulse to hurt himself, but he won't hurt other people. And so when Boom Boom's like, no, I don't want to die. He's like, well, okay, I'm not going to murder you just because I would like to be dead. So he, you know, decides that they should live. It's an interesting beat. And then then the really funny part is like X-Factor shows up and they cut the power and like everybody's like, all right, we have to escape. And they still don't have their powers because they'd been like depowered with technology. So Richter starts picking up some guns and just like, it turns out he's like basically out of a fucking John Woo movie. He was a mercenary, man. He, he, yeah, he knows his way around a fucking gun. It's so funny. He never uses them unless he has to like in a situation. He hates it. It's like, yeah, he has a Batman style aversion to them. He's like, guns are evil, you know, like, which like they are. So, you know, good for you, kid. Yeah. I guess it's like if, if Batman's dad was like Tony Stark and arms like yeah basically well I guess he's he's a dealer not a manufacturer but still it's very much like that like um yeah then there's just all the stuff through Inferno and then they join up with the new mutants and fold into that book and he has like kind of a love triangle-y thing with Boom Boom and Rain so funny that quickly gets dropped because they set up a love triangle between Boom Boom and Cannonball and Sunspot. That kind of goes away. The one that we didn't talk about is in Extinction Agenda, there's this really cool moment. He's one of the new mutants who get captured alongside Storm. It's him and Wolfsbane and Boom Boom and Warlock. Warlock is murdered by Hodge and the others are experimented on in horrible ways. Rain ends up becoming a mindless mutate. And it's after Richter has kissed her and promised her he'll come back for her. And then he sees that she's been like mutatified and he has this horrible guilt about that. Well, Catholic, so always guilt. Right. So this will precipitate a lot of their relationship in X-Factor X Factor investigations where they have this very fraught relationship and it sort of feels like he, it's like he feels like he owes her something. You know what I mean? And she takes advantage of that, which we'll get to. Yeah. Extinction Agenda is like a really great showing for him because he, they get captured, but like he is able to like escape him and Boom Boom. Yeah. Ride or die. And they have no powers. So it's like they're, you know, just surviving by the skin of their teeth, etc. He eventually gets his powers back and destroys all the lab equipment and whatnot. And so they end up chasing after Hodge. And Cameron Hodge at this point is a severed head attached to a cyborg robot body no not just a cyborg body he has his whole like cardboard cutout. he does hang a cardboard cutout suit in front of the robot I body so fucking, that he feels like he looks cheap i fucking love that cardboard i love cameron hodge he's such a freak it's so weird like <laughs> it's like we can see that it's 2d right like we can see yeah this. what is the point of is it, i just don't understand him it soothes him he loves a suit and he can't wear one anymore because he's like a weird 
Gundam with a human head. The other thing is that during the Inferno, when Warren cut Hodge's head off after Hodge killed Candy Southern. R.I.P. R.I.P. Candy, my love. She's a real one. She's a real one. So Hodge also, though, had made a pact with the demon Nastir. If you recall the Inferno babies that we've mentioned occasionally on this podcast. I love that you always have to mention the the, the demon Nastir. It's not just Nastir. Like, we know that there is no other Nastir in the the multiverse. But you always say the demon Nastir. I love it. The demon Nastir. I guess I do always do that. I think it's because, like, people hop around on this show and don't always listen to the whole show all the way through. And Nastir, apart from his recent cameo in an issue of Cable by Jerry Duggan, where he's Mm. tormented by Kazoo's, has not really been a character who persisted very much beyond the initial Inferno story. And not kazoos. They were kazoos and like recorders and things. It was like... The word kazoos is crazy. I feel like that's a character that unless you've read the classic material, a lot of people don't know who Nastir is. So I just feel the need to like clarify, that's a demon. I tease you because I love you. It's like... No, I know you. I know, I know, I know. But in exchange for fetching the babies for the sacrifice, Nastir makes Hodge immortal, which that's that's a lot of power for Nastir yeah. to have, but he just apparently can do that. So Hodge is immortal. So after Warren cuts his head off, his head just goes like blink, blink and comes back to life. So now it's on this robot body. And when Richter is like, I'm going to kill you. And, you know, they have this long history going all the way back to X Factor 20, uh, or before that, to, to, no, going back to Richter's first appearance. 18, yeah, he's 17, right yeah. 20 is the fight with Rusty, but 17 is the one with, uh, with the right kidnapping Richter. You know, it seems random if you haven't read that. It's like, why is Richter the one to like take down Hodge? But it's because that plot's been building this whole time, right? So what, what ends up happening is that like Hodge is like, you can't kill me. I'm an immortal head. Like I will never die. And so... Richter just brings down a whole building on top of him and is just like, then you can just be crushed under a building for eternity, I guess. Why can't we just throw his head into like the fucking ocean? Yeah, I feel like, or like you take it to, you know, like a volcano. Isn't that what they did an angel with, they like dropped angel in the ocean? Yeah, they 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 chained him up and dropped him deep down into the sea. That was pretty awful. Let's do that. Let's do that, Cameron Hodge. Yeah, I feel like that's you know, or, or just again, like Lord of the Rings style, like go to Mount Doom and just like drop him in the volcano. Like, what's yeah. he gonna do? You know, just keep disintegrating and then coming back. What is the Mount Doom of the Marvel Universe? Do we have something? I feel like... Does Zaladane have her own volcano? That I was literally do? about to say there are a lot of active volcanoes in the Savage Land, and I feel like you would have to... Or there's the one in Nova Roma that Celine tried to throw people into. Back That's in, true. Uh, she did do that. Story. So, options. <laughs> or, like, double your pleasure. Loa could take him out to Hawaii. They have active volcanoes and oceans, so you could just true. try both. Anyway, that's the last of Hodge for a bit. He pops back up eventually in Phalanx Covenant, and we'll get there in the Candy Southern episode coming this October with Sarah Century that Sarah and I just improv decided to do during the Karma episode. That catches you up to X-Force, which we've already talked about. I think now is probably a good time to do the Cerebra character file before we get into all the X-Factor investigation stuff. Because the X-Factor investigations plot is... It's a, it's a lot. There's a lot, of it's There's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. Yeah. So we'll do that. I will take you through Richter's full publication history from the Simonson X Factor up through Teeny Howard's Excalibur. And then we will come back for more with Luis Lopez on Richter and your questions. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. 
Julio Esteban Richter, known by the codename Richter, spelled wrong for some reason, is a fan-favorite character best known for his time with X-Force and X-Factor investigations in the 90s and aughts. Created by writer Louise Simonson and artist Walt Simonson, Richter debuted as one of the original X-Factor team's teenage students and eventually merged into the New Mutant Squad before they became X-Force. He was later one of the most high-profile subjects of the decimation, and on his journey to reacquiring his mutant gift, he also embraced his homosexuality. In Volume 4 of Excalibur by Teeny Howard and Marcus Toe, Richter has found new purpose as the heir to an ancient legacy of mutant magic. Julio debuts in 1987's X-Factor 17, where he's presented as a Mexican teenager kidnapped by a new anti-mutant organization called The Right, which is secretly run by X-Factor's human public relations director Cameron Hodge. Julio is strapped into a machine that amplifies his mutant power over seismic waves. The right calls him Richter, spelled R-I-C-T-O-R again, for some reason, and intends to use him to destroy San Francisco and blame mutant terrorism. Julio is rescued by X-Factor, but begs them to kill him to save the city. Marvel Girl manages to use her telekinesis to stop his heart only temporarily, and Julio survives. He's able to inform X-Factor that Cameron Hodge is working against them, as he recognizes Hodge's voice from when the right was torturing him. He becomes one of X-Factor's young trainees alongside Skids and Rusty Collins, but he objects to X-Factor's cover identities as human mutant hunters. The right is persistent and eventually moves to kidnap the trainee class. Only the newest recruit, Tabby Smith, a.k.a. Boom Boom, manages to avoid being captured. Terrified the right will torture him again and force him to use his powers to hurt innocent people, Julio tries to bring down the whole building and kill everyone. He's stopped by the power of fellow trainee Leech, who nullifies the gifts of other super beings. Tavi then frees Julio, but when they're left dangling off a broken ledge, Julio almost lets them both fall and die rather than be recaptured. Tavi convinces Julio to live, and X-Factor storms the compound. Without any powers, Julio rescues his friends by showing off a surprising level of skill with firearms. He reveals he had been a child soldier in Central America. Not long after this confrontation with Hodge, during the franchise-wide event Fall of the Mutants, X-Factor revealed themselves to the public as mutant superheroes and dropped the mutant hunter fiction. Eventually, Cyclops and Marvel Girl decide to send the trainees to a real boarding school to get a proper education, though Julio objects. They don't stay long in any case, as the Inferno event begins and the X-Factor trainees claim the name Exterminators, spitting off into their own miniseries where they team up with the new mutants to rescue babies from a demon sacrifice. In the wake of the Inferno, the Exterminators merge into the new mutant squad. The combined group continues to live with X-Factor, though Rusty and Skids are written out of the book pretty quickly. As part of the New Mutants, Julio and Tabby don't get much time to adjust before they're thrust into a wild adventure in Asgard. Julio grows close to new teammate Rain Sinclair, a.k.a. Wolfsbane, and confides in Rain that he has feelings for Tabby he's afraid to act on. When they return to Earth, this plot develops into a more complex love triangle between Julio, Rain, and Tabby, with Tabby dressing provocatively to get Julio's attention back, but Julio finding himself more and more interested in Rain. When Rain is summoned back to Scotland by her foster mother, Dr. Moira McTaggart, Rain is perturbed by the sense that something is wrong with Moira. Julio trusts her and uses his power to destroy Moira's helicopter. Rain and Julio are thus able to remain together, but Julio is disturbed by the arrival of the time-traveling soldier Cable, whom he recognizes. Cable convinces Cyclops that he should begin training the new mutants, and the squad moves into the disused X-Mansion to train in anticipation of attacks by the terrorist group called the Mutant Liberation Front. Julio remembers Cable as the man who murdered his father when Julio was a child, but he keeps this to himself. After he panics during a danger room exercise and thinks Cable is taunting him about his father's death, Julio runs off into the Morlock tunnels. Attacked there by Sabretooth, Julio manages to release a massive earthquake to defend himself, but is nearly killed. 
he decides to humble himself and train with Cable after all. This leads into the 1990 franchise-wide event Extinction Agenda, where Julio, Tabby, Rain, the techno-organic alien teammate Warlock, and the X-Man Storm are kidnapped by agents of the anti-mutant apartheid state Genosha. Stripped, humiliated, and drugged, Julio and the others are to be brainwashed and pressed into slavery. Warlock is killed. The prisoners discover that the new leader of Genosha is Cameron Hodge, who had survived his apparent death in the Inferno by making a pact with the demon Mystere. Now an immortal severed head, Hodge has attached himself to a powerful robotic body. Julio has a post-traumatic panic attack when faced by Hodge, but eventually the team manages to escape. Julio and Rain kiss just before splitting up to look for a way out, but Rain is recaptured and turned into a mindless slave. Julio is devastated and blames himself for leaving her behind. Teaming up with Tabby and the X-Men's new student Jubilee, Julio manages to get his powers back and free Rain. Facing his fear of Hodge, Julio uses his power to bury the evil bigot's immortal head under a mountain of rubble. Rain decides to stay behind in Genosha because she's all fucked up, stuck in either a mindless state or a half-wolf form where she can think clearly. This ends Louise Simonson's long tenure on both X-Factor and New Mutants. She's pushed out after New Mutants 97 by rising star artist Rob Liefeld, who now takes on full writing duties as well. Julio leaves the New Mutants in the middle of the night in issue 98, eager to return to Genosha and find a way to fix Rain's new condition. The book ends two issues later and relaunches as X-Force, with the renamed team now acting as a paramilitary organization under Cable's direction. The new book is co-written for the first 12 issues by Liefeld and writer Fabian Niciesa. Richter returns a year later in X-Force 10, which begins Liefeld's final arc on the book. Julio has joined forces with a group called Weapon Prime that's hunting Cable. Weapon Prime claims Cable is secretly also the leader of the Mutant Liberation Front, and Julio is eager to help unmask him. After Cable disappears and Julio decides to side with his old friends against Weapon Prime, he joins up with X-Force. From here, Liefeld departs and Fabian Niciesa assumes full writing duties. For Executioner's Song Professor Xavier is shot and nearly killed by a man who looks exactly like Cable. X-Force encounters the new government-run X-Factor, including Rain, who kisses Julio excitedly. When X-Force and X-Factor end up doing battle, Julio attacks Rain to protect his new friend and teammate Shatterstar, a handsome alien gladiator from the Mojo world. Julio is cold to Rain after she helps apprehend X-Force. But everyone's freed in the end after it's revealed the assassin was actually Strife, Cable's identical clone. Strife and Cable are both apparently killed at the end of the event, and X-Force begins operating without Cable's direction. When Cable finally returns, he explains to Julio that it was actually Strife who killed his father. Still distraught over welcoming Cable back into his life, Julio ends up kissing Tabby in an impulsive moment, but she rejects him. She's now dating their teammate Sam Guthrie, a.k.a. Cannonball. Instead, Julio starts growing closer and closer to Shatterstar, whose alien ways initially annoy him. After they bond, Shatterstar learns Spanish so that they can communicate with each other privately. He then spots some of Julio's relatives in a Spanish-language news item, and it's here in X-Force 34 that we get a fuller understanding of Richter's backstory. Born in Guadalajara, the son of vicious arms dealer Luis Richter, Julio initially didn't know the truth about his criminal family. When he was six years old, he witnessed a man he called the Shark, actually Strife, storm the family compound and murder Luis Richter for reneging on a deal. Young Julio swore he would have nothing to do with his family's business, and as a teenager he ran away to become a mercenary. Now, with his uncle and cousin injured in a deal gone wrong, Julio decides to return to Mexico to sort things out. His relatives attack Cable, thinking he's Strife, and Julio reveals himself as a mutant to stop the fighting. He expresses his disgust that the Richters have continued to run guns after his father's death, and returns to America with X-Force. In Fabian Niciesa's final issue on the series, Julio and Shatterstar go out to a nightclub. Shatterstar is perturbed and confused by the concepts of romance and sex, and confesses his apprehensions to Julio. 
Julio admits he's a virgin himself and promises Shatterstar that they'll always be there for one another and figure things out together. New writer Jeff Loeb, however, quickly writes Julio out, having him object to mind reading by telepaths as part of a new alliance with the X-Men. Shatterstar begs him to stay, but Julio departs for Mexico. He returns 15 issues later for Loeb's final arc on the book, in which Shatterstar... Listen, don't worry about it. We'll get to it next week. Julio travels with X-Force to the Mojo World to rescue Shatterstar, and they stay together on the team for a bit after that until new writer John Francis Moore writes them both out to begin his new road trip era. Julio and Star decide to go to Mexico together and stop his family's criminal operation once and for all. They depart in 1997's X-Force 70, and Richter does not return to regular ongoing publication until 2005. In the intervening eight years, he makes five appearances. In X-Force 76, Julio is kidnapped by the supervillain Arcade, who blackmails Shatterstar into fighting in a gladiatorial arena. In the 1999 X-Force Annual, written by returning writer Fabian Luciesa, Julio and Star have their own adventure where they stop an evil eugenic plot. We learn they've continued to wage war on the Mexican cartels and that they've put a lot of Julio's relatives in prison. When Richter next appears in 2002's New X-Men 128 by Grant Morrison and Igor Cordy, Shatterstar is nowhere to be found. Julio makes three cameo appearances throughout New X-Men as a member of the Paris branch of X-Corporation, a global outreach force. He returns to regular publication in Peter David's X-Factor Investigations in 2005. After the decimation, in which the Scarlet Witch used her reality-warping power to depower all but about 200 mutants worldwide, Julio is one of the many to lose his gift. Suicidally depressed because he can no longer feel the movement of the Earth, he attempts to kill himself by jumping off a building. He ends up on television news, and Rain yells at him to come down. After a rogue duplicate of Jamie Madrox pushes Julio off the roof, he's rescued by Monet Sancroix and ends up invited to join Monet and Rain, alongside Teresa Cassidy, codenamed Siren, and Guido Caracella, codenamed Strong Guy, in Madrox's new X-Factor detective agency operating out of Manhattan's mutant town. Julio resists joining up at first because he feels useless without his powers. He changes his mind after a mysterious teenage girl named Layla Miller gives him a tip that compels him to save a woman from an abusive boyfriend. Feeling more confident, he returns and becomes a member of the team. In issue three, Julio is nearly murdered by an assassin who knocks him out, but Layla secretly kills the man and saves him. He then ends up killing a man himself to rescue Siren from a depowered mutant who's gone crazy. Julio's the first to notice that Layla is more than she seems and threatens her that he's watching her closely. She admits that she has some knowledge of the future. After he learns the decimation was caused by the Scarlet Witch, Julio is visited by her brother Quicksilver, who tempts him by claiming he can restore decimated mutants' powers. Julio refuses to take this gift, but Quicksilver begins following him around anyway. It turns out Quicksilver is aiding a terrorist group of decimated mutants called X-Cell, and he tells Julio that with Julio's natural connection to the Earth, together they can repower all these mutants with Terrigen crystals. Julio helps him, but the mutants they restore begin spontaneously combusting. He manages to use the tiny bit of power he has left to push the crystals out of Quicksilver's body and stop this from happening to any more people. Deeply depressed again, he starts fucking rain. Big mistake. When the power mimicker Josef Huber attacks X-Factor in his effort to exterminate all remaining mutants, it turns out Richter is immune to his abilities due to the earlier shenanigans with the Terrigen Crystals. After this, though, they stop working. This leads into the franchise-wide event Messiah Complex, where Richter infiltrates the human supremacist group called the Purifiers. He manages to rescue the X-Men's young students who've attacked the Purifiers with their own volition and flees with them using Pixie's teleportation power. After that event, Rain abandons both Julio and X-Factor, leaving behind a note that Julio burns. He's then kidnapped by Arcade, who's been hired by the Purifiers to get revenge on Julio for his work as a spy. Drawing on the technical skills he's been building as X-Factor's computer guy, Julio manages to free himself and makes an effort to hack Arcade's systems to prevent the villain from blowing up Mutant Town. 
He fails, but gets angry enough to throw a chair at the computer, destroying it and overloading the machines before too much damage is done. X-Factor then moves for a bit to Detroit, where, okay, bear with me, Siren is pregnant and government official Valerie Cooper, iconic girl boss, don't worry about it, we'll get to her eventually, is keeping an eye on the pregnancy. When Siren goes into labor, Julio decides he wants to give her some privacy, so he grabs a gun and starts shooting at random to distract the government agents. Val gets shot in the crossfire, but it all turns out okay in the end. All in a day's work for Marvel's most suicidal mutant. During a conflict with a rogue Madrox duplicate called Cortex, X-Factor is attacked by a brainwashed operative who turns out to be Shatterstar. Star shakes off the mind control and immediately grabs Julio, kissing him passionately in front of the whole team. This sequence in 2009 is the first on-panel kiss between two male superheroes in a Marvel comic. It turns out their relationship became romantic some time ago, but the reader wasn't privy to this knowledge in the late 90s when they were last seen together. Star has developed a new teleportation power, which is convenient, and they all eventually defeat Cortex and return to New York with Star as an official team member. Julio officially declares himself to his friends as a gay man. He and Star begin dating again, despite Strong Guy's incessant homophobic teasing, but Julio is upset when they run into Tabby and Star makes out with her in front of everybody. In the franchise-wide event Second Coming, Julio again goes undercover to help out since he can't be detected as a mutant. After Bastion's defeated, Julio begins questioning his relationship with Shatterstar. Star and Layla Miller, she's an adult now, don't worry about it, had embarked on an affair when they were stranded in Latveria. Again, don't worry about it. Julio and Star argue, but Julio eventually understands Star is just as confused about his sexuality as Julio once was and wants to experience everything and everyone. They reconcile and are about to have sex when Rain walks in on them, enormously pregnant, and attacks Shatterstar. After she calms her bloodlust, Rain lies to Julio and tells him the baby is his. This turns out to be bullshit pretty quickly, and Julio is understandably furious, but he realizes Rain is afraid. He promises he'll be there for the baby, even though it isn't his baby, and also she sucks and is a homophobic weirdo. When the team is joined by former X-Men Longshot, also from Mojo World, Julio notices he and Shatterstar are weirdly similar. This will go places later, but don't worry about it right now. In the 2010 event Avengers Children's Crusade, Julio is offered a singular opportunity when the Scarlet Witch, restored to sanity, mostly, wants to try to repower the mutants she decimated. Victor volunteers as the test subject and is successfully repowered, becoming more powerful, it seems, than he was before the decimation. Dr. Doom then prevents the Scarlet Witch from doing this for anyone else, but Julio remains repowered. With his powers restored, Julio is hesitant to continue doing computer tech stuff for the team, and his relationship with Shatterstar becomes strained as Richter is distracted by the return of his gift. The Hell Lords stuff happens here, and as usual, you do not need to worry about it. Julio and Star help Rain find her missing child, don't worry about that either, even though they have to fight off their former teammate Darwin, and it turns out Rain's son, Tyr, is part of an important Hell prophecy. There's a whole thing. Richter and Shatterstar are apparently obliterated in a blast of infernal fire by the Hell Lord Mephisto, and everyone assumes they're dead. In reality, they've just been warped through dimensions to Mojo World, where Julio lands alone and is captured and forced to survive in a gladiatorial arena. He finally comes face to face with his next opponent, Shatterstar, who does not recognize him. The alien scientist Arise finally explains that Shatterstar fell from the sky, and Arise used his DNA to produce the Mojo World's perfect rebel hero, Longshot. Arise restores Shatterstar's memories, and it turns out they've landed many years in the past. Star's able to teleport himself and Julio through time, don't worry about it, and they help Dazzler give birth to her son with Longshot. 
who it turns out is Shatterstar in A Time Paradox. Do not worry about this. We'll get into it next episode. Julio agrees to help Shatterstar keep the timeline intact by taking the baby into the future. This is their last story in X-Factor Investigations, which disbands not long afterward. The team still believing that Julio and Star are dead. Rick and Star abruptly reappear on Earth four years later during the company-wide event Secret Invasion, where they team up with Strong Guy and Rain in the mutant haven called New Tian. Julio fights Daisy Johnson, the inhuman heroine Quake, and it's pretty neat. The following year, he turns up in the Iceman solo series written by Sin of Grace, where we learn that he and Shatterstar have broken up. Julio and Bobby, however, don't seem to have any romantic chemistry. He then appears in two miniseries, New Mutants Dead Souls by Matthew Rosenberg and Adam Gorham, in which he and Shatterstar are back together, and Shatterstar by Tim Seeley and Gerardo Sandoval, in which they are on again, off again. These minis are both cute and worth reading, but you don't really have to worry about them. Just know that he and Star are broken up again by the time of the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, after which Julio returns to regular ongoing publication for the first time in six years as part of the cast of Excalibur Volume 4 by Timmy Howard and Marcus Toe. Richter intends to become a citizen of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa, but before he can emigrate, his powers suddenly spiral out of control. Afraid he might damage the island, Julio becomes a shut-in, living in a box full of soil and sinking into a deep depression. He's roused from his stupor by Apocalypse, and is convinced to join the new iteration of Excalibur led by Captain Britain, Betsy Braddock. As Excalibur's adventures continue, Julio learns mutant magic at Apocalypse's feet, and appears to develop romantic feelings for the ancient immortal mutant. Though he becomes a powerful druid, stronger in his mastery of the Earth than ever before, Julio is devastated when Apocalypse departs the team, and this reality, to rejoin his wife Genesis in the wake of the franchise-wide event Ten of Swords. Declaring himself the heir to Apocalypse's mutant magical legacy, Richter finds himself alienating his friends while digging deeper and deeper into his arcane studies. But at least Shatterstar has returned from captivity in Mojo World, eager to help his lover forge a new path. X-Men, X-Men! And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that rollicking tour through Richter's, or through Richter's long history. It's, it's either, man. Yeah, well, I imagine it's Richter when he's just, like, talking to white people, but if he was, like, when he's fighting the cartel with Shatterstar or whatever, it's presumably... It's, it's Richter. Richter. So keeping the theme of this episode, I, I got an horchata beer, so I'm keeping it very Mexican. <laughs> I love that. So, when last we left our hero, we had covered pretty much everything before the decimation. I think that the decimation is really the turning point for this character because he, more than any other character, is sort of used to be the face of the decimated mutants because Danny gets kind of written out and so does Jubilee. Yeah. And they're really the other two big characters to get decimated. Yes, Jubilee disappears completely. We don't see her again until she's a vampire. There's nothing happened in between that. There's no, there's not a comic (laughs) book called New Warriors where she's Wondra. No Wondra moment for you? Yes, it's... Listen, that comic is such a dwy that Stacey X dies in it and then just comes back to life without explanation like a year later. Truly. Like, no one cares about that run of the New Warriors. The only lasting impact it's had is giving Angel Salvador those fire and ice gauntlets, which she's still rocking. I have no clue about that. Richter is one of the higher profile characters to get decimated. The Peter David X-Factor Investigations book opens with 
Richter attempting suicide. Yes. He is going to jump off a building because he doesn't want to live without his powers, in part because he has lost his connection to the earth. A, a retcon, I would say. It's a retcon. That was never that was never his power before that, but no. I think that like it 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 introduced like a really an interesting wrinkle to him. Like it it made him it one, it powered him up. I would say it put him on the level like some say someone like Storm. Not an Omega, but... But Magma. Yes. He sort of like gets up to that level. Now, not for a while because he's decimated for quite some time. Mm -hmm. But um, it opens with him attempting suicide. Monet rescues him after Rain very unhelpfully is like, you're gonna go to hell. You're gonna go to hell. (laughs) I love... Don't kill yourself, Victor. (laughs) You'll go to hell. Danae. That's just not helpful, my dear. I love that's that is always her re- refrain. Someone's someone's always going to hell with that girl. Someone's always fucking going to hell with that. That's why I, I always assume that she was, even though she's not Catholic. I always assume that she was. No, I know because she's always talking about hell. You know, I actually made a mistake last week. I, I corrected it later in the episode, not last week, uh, two weeks ago in the Karma episode. I made a mistake. I referred to her as Catholic because we were talking about Sean being Catholic. Yeah, and then I correct myself because Rain is very Protestant. She's Scottish. She sure it's is. Like, yes. You got to be careful with that because you don't want to, you know, it's, it's a it's a big, it's a whole deal over in the UK and Ireland. I don't know anything about that, but I will agree with you. While we're on the Karma episode, I do just want to read two notes I got from Vietnamese listeners. Sure. Viet Dinh, aka Vinny, who has written in a couple times to the show, told me in the Cerebra Discord that I had done a pretty good job with the Vietnamese name pronunciation, which I appreciated because I was very worried about that. But that man, her last name, has like, it's like man. It has like a sharper like N sound to it. I was doing kind of like a ma, like in the back of the throat thing. So I'll try to do that in the future. But he also took a look at all of the family's names and tried to figure out how to make them into real Vietnamese names. And he said, man is not typically a surname, but Tran, her brother's name, is sometimes a surname. So... He says, if we were to completely retcon fix the whole family's names to be as close to real Vietnamese names, I think Karma and her brother would be Tran Khoi Swan and Tran Khoi Ma, and the uncle's name would be Wen Yak Khoi. The eternally kidnapped twins could be Tran Khoi Long and Tran Khoi Nga. Susan Hachi would probably be Tran something Dao. I don't know why writers keep putting apostrophes in the characters' names because we don't use those, LOL. So <laughs> there you have it. Swan, X-U-A-N, is something that I've seen suggested for for karma's yeah. name that would be more appropriate and it's notable that Vinny writes koi here rather than c-o-y he writes it k-h-o-i which makes sense i've seen that name before right it was an artist or an artist in marvel named koi fan yeah exactly so i was like oh it didn't even occur to me that that's the same that it's just transliterated differently with mm-hmm. her name and then Bao Phak Do wrote in to say, Hello, I'm Vietnamese and 52-ish. Our family left Saigon by American bomber three days before the fall of Saigon. Here are my notes on the Karma episode. I got this and was like, holy shit, thank you. This is exactly what I was hoping for because, you know, I'm not an expert on this at all. The name Xi'an is not Vietnamese. The closest name is Swan, which means spring, but it's typically a boy's name. Joined with another word, you could have Swan Ha, which means spring flower, and could pass for a girl name, but I've never seen a combination with Swan. The SH as in sheep is not commonly heard, but exists in some regions of Vietnam. The word for life activity is Sin Hoat, and the S can be a soft sh or hard S. 
However, any word spelled with an X is a hard S, as in sinus. In Chinese, X is usually a soft sh. Win, with two tonal accents, is the most common Vietnamese last name, but it also exists without a tonal accent as a male first name. There are eight tonal accents in Vietnamese, so it's normal to make a mistake. Khoi Man is a strange last name because most last names in Vietnamese are single words. In fact, the language is composed only of monosyllabic words. So the longest word is eight characters long with two silent H's. Many translated words end up as multiple words. For example, cafe is ca phê. A middle name in Vietnam is also rare. My first name is Bao Phoc, and calling me Bao is not correct because my name uses a different accent than the single word name Bao. I'll have to ask my dad, who's a writer, what possible accents can be on Khoi Man. Depending on the tonal accent, Man, he's writing it M-A. So not Man, but Ma, the way that I was pronouncing it. Depending on the tonal accent, Ma can be a ghost, a mother, a mare, a cemetery, etc. Tran, with two tonal accents, is mostly a last name, but can be a first name. Nga is definitely a real girl's first name. Leong is not a Vietnamese spelling. It would be Long, L-O-N-G, which is a common boy first name. My idea on why karma went to her uncle is because in our culture, family is better than anyone else, even if the family member is not a good person overall. Between the promise of a stranger crime lord and a crime lord who's related to you, we would pick the relative. Keep up the good work. Hai bao chat phak, which apparently means profound embrace natural identity in terms of the characters. He like makes a note. Well, thank you so much, Balfok, for writing in. That was really cool. You put in a lot of work to make sure all these pronunciations work, and it's, I appreciate that. Well, here's the thing. The fact of the matter is the classic comics did not do that. It's made up. They're all, they're all it's yeah. like they almost just like made shit up. I mean, they sometimes they did. I think they just looked at a list of words and picked things out. You know, I mean, as I noted in the Karma episode, like Ilyana isn't even a real Russian name. Like he does it to everybody, you know? There's a art comic artist on Twitter that always makes fun of like, whenever that name comes up, it's like, what the fuck is happening? Shout out to Art Yom. It should be Yelena. Yes. But, you know... Like, Ilyana, my understanding, is like a variant of Yelena, but mm. like, there's no Ilyana. That's not a thing. And for the Asian characters, it is Wild exponentially West. worse. Yeah. Literally. I mean, like, at least Rasputin's a real name, right? Yes. Anyway, thank you to both of you for writing in. That was really helpful and insightful. So thank you for doing that. I really love the, this community that you've built. Like, they're just amazing people. And, you know, I, I moderate and probably like, probably the least hands-on of all the moderators, but I do like <laughs> love to read. They're, everyone's just so smart and so lovely and so hot. And like, I love that. So I'm really appreciative of them. It's a good crew. You can join the Cerebro Discord by going to Cerebrocast.com and clicking a link. Just don't bring any bad vibes. No bad vibes. The other thing that someone sent in that I love is Jason Shawhan sent in an article he had published in the local paper, The Nashville Banner, when he was 15, that was like a response to a homophobe mad about North Star coming out in the early love 90s. That. Go off. I love that. Go off. Go off, Jason. Love that for you. Love that for us. Thank you for sharing. I was in the paper. I was in a paper kind of this past week. I'm famous. For what, my dear? You didn't. Oh, you didn't tell me about this. Oh, I, okay. I was flying. I have like been traveling all week. That's probably been happening. Like we were like ships in the night. Like I was in LA. Yeah, because you were you were in LA last weekend. That's why I was interviewed. Um, I was interviewed for the opening of Avengers Campus at Disneyland. Oh, well, I know you were there and that you were posting pictures and stuff, but I did not see the interview. I'll have yeah, I was. In, I'm in the LA Times. I was in the LA Times last week. I love that for you. You should come back down while I'm still here. I'm here till July. We'll see. 
So Richter in X Factor Investigations, he is suicidally depressed because he lost his powers. Mm -hmm. It's noted, and this is something that I think is worth digging into because in the Wanda of it all, people are always like, it's an exaggeration to call it a genocide. She just took their powers away. Here's what you don't realize if you didn't read the Decimation miniseries. Generation M. Generation M miniseries or these early X Factor Investigations stories. After the decimation, first of all, hundreds of mutants die by suicide who have been decimated. Like, worldwide, it is a thing that happens because people can't take the loss of their gift, right? Then you have the other thing, which is that decimated mutants start getting hunted down by bigots and slaughtered in hate crimes. There's the one that we mentioned in the Monet episode in France where they kill dozens of decimated mutants who had been like, you know, holed up somewhere. There are attacks in mutant town all the time. At the end of the day, probably thousands of mutants worldwide were massacred in the wake of M-Day because they were unable to defend themselves from human aggression. And that's not even counting all the people who just died instantly when they lost their power. We see a woman fall out of the sky because she was flying when Wanda did no more mutants. Chamber manages to survive barely, but there are Certainly, many other mutants like him, whose power was keeping their body running and alive. And it's only because he had the resources for, like, the, to be the X-Men. Exactly. You know, exactly. Melody Guthrie could have been the same person that jumped out of the sky and, and Melody died. Guthrie could have been that person who was up and happened to be up in the sky. Right. So it's like, there's just... A lot of people died. It's not just losing powers. A lot of people died or were hunted down and murdered en masse. And uh, it's serious. So just while we're Wanda discoursing, which I don't, although I saw finally Darkhold is solicited for September. It is happening. Steve Orlando promised you on this very podcast it would be coming and it is indeed coming. I just think that the Wanda fans need to remember that lots and lots of people did die because of that thing she did. Anyway, the point is Richter spends most of this book for a long time, for like five years. It's 2005 to 2010 in Children's Crusade when he gets repowered. Basically, he, like you mentioned, becomes their computer guy. He finds that he's good with computers. He learns how to hack in like a very comic book hacker kind of way, like into things. I, I, I appreciate that's like carried over from X-Force. That was like kind of his role over there too. He was like the tech guy. He was watches TV. He like kind of set everything up. And so. Yeah. But they, but this kicks it into higher gear. Like he definitely becomes like their, like, it's almost like he's, you know, Cypher, like not using his power to do it, but like yes. the way that Cypher or like Kate or other characters sometimes are just like, hold on a moment. I'll hack into the FBI or project wide awake or whatever. Like he starts being able to do that stuff. We're hacking the mainframe. He also saves Siren's life when she gets attacked by that crazy decimated mutant in a very sexist storyline. A theme. Yeah. I mean, he's sort of like, he, he gets some focus, but it's really more as a background character because he isn't powered. So he can't do as much of the field stuff, but he gets this complicated plot with Quicksilver who is sort of tempting him and trying to convince him to be repowered by Quicksilver's Terrigen crystals. And Richter eventually agrees to help Quicksilver not do it to him, but to do it to some other people who want to be repowered. And then all of those people spontaneously combust. And Richter is really upset about that and uses his power. He doesn't get the thing that the XL people get that makes them explode, but he has like a burst of power. Mm -hmm. 
he pushes all of the Terrigen crystals out of Pietro's body and like destroys Pietro's ability to do this. Yeah, and he, he does absorb the crystals and they come back later. He absorbs the crystals into himself a little bit and it comes up in a later plot because they make him resistant to an attack or whatever. By Trip, yeah. Yeah, Damien Trip is a don't worry about it. Jamie Madrox coming in 2021. <laughs> Woof. Yeah, I'm doing a Jamie episode in the next couple months. But yeah, I mean, the big thing also is that after this, like he, when he's still just like super depressed, he and Rain sort of bond and end up starting a sexual relationship, which I don't care for. But it it's it's um I'm trying I try to justify it like he's very much in a place where he's kind of pulling for anything that's like feels safe to him. And Rain kind of like goes back to like when he was, you know, a new mutant when he was younger, when he felt like, like I said, he felt safe. Right. So that's kind of like, that's how I kind of how I justify it. It's hard because so many of these characters, like when you, when you think about like the sliding time scale, there's so much tragedy, like buckled into like such a short period of time. Like, even though it was like 20 years for us, it was like probably like two or three years for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's very hard. I feel like he. Oh wait, it wasn't. It wasn't Damian Tripp. I'm sorry to cut you off. The person he gets protected by the crystals from is Cortex. No, it's not even Cortex. It's Joseph Huber. Remember that guy? No, he's the one where like he can mimic anyone's powers or whatever. No, he's trying to genocide all the mutants on Earth. Wait, I so do. He'll stop mimicking. I do. Powers. He had like a half like Colossus face. Yeah, like half Colossus face. Yeah. He tries to kill Richter, and for some reason, none of his powers affect Richter at all, and so he freaks out and runs away. And it's just that oh, this way terrigen. terrigen in yes. his system, and then it all fades away. That story is an even bigger dwy than Damian Tripp, so don't worry about that at all. But anyway, you were talking about how going back to Rain feels safe. And I think that's true. The thing is, like, Rain is no longer a safe person. No. Like, this is Rain post-Academy X. This is Rain who is about to go to the Kyost X-Force. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's Rain after all of the stuff Peter David had initially done to her in his- In X-Factor. On X-Factor after Extinction Agenda. So I think he does think this is the person who I can depend on or I can go back to, except- he can't because she's not really the person that he used to know. Like to not to Gautier. it. That leads into still depowered. He infiltrates the purifiers in Messiah complex. That was just like kind of the coolest thing that happened to him. Yeah. That's what I do appreciate about the trilogy of Messiah complex. I don't remember. And the second coming is the last of it, but it's like Messiah complex. Utopia and Messiah War happen in the middle. So that's right. It, I, can we kind of think of it as a trilogy, but it really is like a core. But there's actually kind of four because yeah. Utopia counts. I think it does. It's it's the Messiah War that's like the kind of the weird one because it it only crosses over with Xverse and Cable, I believe. Um, so like they kind of keep using him. He keeps he's being the, the token like. He's almost the Madeline Pryor, the Candy Southern. like The human ally, right. He's treated as the, the human ally. Who is at your base doing your computers and sometimes can infiltrate something or whatever. Right, yeah. So after Messiah Complex, Rain leaves him a Dear John letter. We don't even get to read it. He burns it before he finishes reading it. Gay. Uh, 
<laughs> then Arcade attacks. And this is sort of a callback to Richter's earlier struggle with Arcade. He hates this guy. Arcade ends up blowing up most of Mutant Town. X-Factor manages to save some of the residents. But then they all move to Detroit. Is Arcade gay? No, Arcade is fucking Miss Locke. I don't buy that. He is, though. That's no. like a, That's their whole thing. Arcade feels very gay to me. I don't want him. I don't claim Arcade. Well, again, we, I, we, you know, it's, it's a large tent. We kind of have to like take people. I guess he identifies as whatever. But like, I, I don't know. He feels very like he feels very bitchy and vindictive in a way that's very gay. He's very camp. Yes, but he is explicitly in a sexual relationship with Miss Locke until he kills her and then replaces her with a robot. It's not clear if he's fucking the robot. But I will say whether or not Arcade is queer, it does have a further gay on gay violence vibe to it yes. in the same way that Cameron Hodge versus Richter does. I mean, Arcade also kidnapped them to like make Shatterstar fight in the arena. Like it's very, you know, gladiator movies are gay. Shatterstar is very hot. We all just want him to yeah, like, take Yeah, and everybody shirt just off wants and, like, him to take his shirt off and kill people and yes. be covered in blood. Except for Richter, as we'll get to. Then X-Factor moves to Detroit really briefly. Don't worry about it. It's like a brief period. And that's when Shatterstar pops back up and Peter David reveals on the page that Shatterstar and Richter were a couple back in the 90s. Has them kiss. It's the first male-male kiss between two male superheroes in a Marvel comic book. Is that true? Even after North Star? Uh, yep. That's sad. Yep. It sure is. <laughs> that was in the 2000s. It sure was. Was it Was it in the 2010s? It's 2009. Okay, we're, we just barely squeaked in the 2000s. That's sad. And I can tell you North Star had never kissed anyone. I can tell you that. Okay. Sure. That's so sad. Kyle is introduced around the same time, also in 2009. And that's the first time that North Star ever kisses anybody. So... 2009. He was gay throughout the 90s, right? Yep, but they never let him date or kiss anyone. And when he had his solo miniseries, we, we talked about this last week, me and Steve Fox, in his solo miniseries, they even retconned that older man from his backstory into being like just a friend. That's rude. It's really rude, honestly. The whole thing is rude. Everything about North Star is pretty rude. And yeah, like he never gets to kiss a guy in the Austin run. He just pines over Bobby. Again. It's endless. I know we have Kyle. I just kind of like want Bobby and North Star to just like have like a little what could have been i think they should at least talk about it or maybe we'll just, we'll just like invite bobby into our bed right like or like have a threesome yes we're gay like gay marriage doesn't necessarily mean 100 monogamy we all know that i agree if you're listening and you're a flat scan that's a stereotype i'm not saying it's true of everybody but it is true of a lot of people so i've been in a relationship for like over 10 years like we're open it's and you like, guys have some fun yeah yeah within without each other right so you know they should figure out the rules there i think i just want them to make it interesting like shake it up you know cause some give them some drama let's do it so anyway this leads into richter coming out it's initially kind of ambiguous he's figuring out what he like defines as and peter david really like teased people with it in a way that was like to me kind of annoying and was like who knows we'll find out but, I mean, I do appreciate that he brought it onto the page. So, you know, whatever. It ends up, it's funny, in the Iceman episode, Tony and I had like a long convo about the people who argue that Bobby should be bisexual rather than gay and how we really disagree with that. We think that 
Bobby has been written very much, if you look at his history, as a closeted gay guy who has these unfulfilling sort of phony relationships with women that are trying too hard or whatever. This one, though, I was sort of taken aback because where it ends up landing is that Richter's gay and Shatterstar is bi. And to me, that felt backwards because the Richter and Rain relationship, while it's a mess, did feel much more legit to me than like any of the Bobby and anyone relationships. You know what I mean? And like he definitely did seem sexually attracted to Boom Boom like back in the day. It's tough for me because I I didn't. I didn't read those X Factor issues really because it, right. it was not on there, so I didn't really see yeah. it. It felt more like it felt more like Boom Boom was attracted to him than he was attracted to her. It's complicated. He's like he confides in Rain that he's into Boom Boom, yeah. but that like Boom Boom will never want him or whatever. Which like who knows? It's all very and like listen, I am not a believer in like a gold star bullshit. So if he says he's gay, then it's he's bad, gay, yeah. and that's fine. But I do think that. If you were going to make one of them gay and one of them bi, it would have made more sense to me for Richter to be the bi character and Shatterstar to be the gay character based on their previous publication history. Because again, Nisiesa was writing Shatterstar as a gay character in the early 90s, right? Like mm-hmm. that was sort of the subtext of all those things. Because like part of Shatterstar's confusion about like, what is this thing called love? Is that like <laughs> he wasn't into girls, right? You know? Yeah. Whereas like instead, the way Shatterstar is now characterized I mean, I appreciate that he got a haircut because I'm just not a long hair. I like person. long hair. I love it. I know nope. I know you hate it, but like I kind of like it. Just not for me. It's just not for me. They run into Tabby and like Shatterstar just suddenly like dips her and starts making out with her in front of Richter. And Richter's just like, uh, uh, um, are we together? Or And like they have to figure out because like basically Shatterstar is like, I figured out my sexuality and now I'm extremely horny, which is like, I don't know. My read is that he's trying to figure out where, where his sexuality lies. Like Richter feels very like, okay, well, I love you. Right. Like I'm gay. I want to jump into a monogamous relationship with you. And Shatterstar does not feel that way. Right. It's tough because Shatterstar is very much like trying to figure out like, what do these emotions mean? I don't know. It just, it just feels like Richter is very much like, okay, I decided I'm gay. And now we should finally be together openly yes. because it is like, mm-hmm. though the relationship is retroactively established, it's also established that they hid it from their friends. I don't think it's hidden. I think it was just like they were in Mexico when all this shit happened. Maybe it depends on when they actually got together and maybe it was after they left the team. But everyone in X-Force feels like very involved in their pod. It's like Cannonball, Sunspot, Boom Boom. Then you have like Siren and Warpath and it's like very much, it feels very much like cordoned off. Those two fags in the corner, like they're just doing whatever they're going to do. <laughs> then comes, this is going to shock so many people who like there, I keep getting people who write in, they're like, I didn't know Rain did that. And I'm like, yeah, Wolfsbane is oh, no. a fraught character. So is there is there any character that like has been more fucked up by like, so shit has been shuffled on her than Wolfsbane? I don't think so. In this franchise, no. I don't I think truly she is the one who has been most written into corners 
in ways that are almost like inescapable. And unfortunately, it's not like Emma doing the one thing in Inhumans versus X-Men. There are times when like a character is out of character or does one thing that's just like a really bad story. And you can kind of gloss over it if you make yourself gloss over it. With Rain, there's like 10 different things. For sure. So this is already after she's been fired for having a sexual... She claims it's not sexual, but I don't believe her. For having like a romantic relationship with a student. Then she goes off to X-Force and murders people for a while. Then she turns back up in X-Factor and now she's heavily pregnant. And Richter is like, am I the father? And Rain says, well, I wasn't with anyone else seven months ago. So like she just straight up lies to him and tells him he is the father of her child when he's not. She fucking sucks. She sucks. I feel so bad for her, though. It's like, again, she's not Catholic, but I feel like... She kind of is. It's probably my issues. Like I, I don't, I don't know too much about You're like Catholic, right? So like, yes. That's your, so I don't, I don't know too much reference. about like being Protestant, but like the torture. I, I identify with the torture of yourself. Yeah. For being like deviant or whatever, right? Yeah. She's she is so like it isn't just like she has like I can shoot arrows of like you know mine arrows or whatever. It's like I'm physically. I'm a monster. I'm like a. Yeah, I'm a werewolf fucking monster, demon, right? She's like a physical manifestation of like what of the things she was taught. Like sin will transform you. Yes, again, as as a gay person, you I I do so much identify with that. Like it's like we're going to fucking hell. Like it's like all that stuff. Well, and certainly Claremont wrote her and the New Mutants movie for all its failings did pick up on this. Did you watch that? Okay, so sidebar, but like I I kind of liked it. Like as much as I think the plot was bad and like. Cecilia Reyes, has there been like a worse character assassination? Like that was very bad for that character. But like, I feel like the new mutants themselves were portrayed by their actors and actresses pretty well. Like they, it was good. Yeah, I would say like, and you and I have talked about this, so I know you agree, but like apart from the whitewashing on Roberto, like the actor did a good job, but it was like, this is a problem. It's hard because it's like, aside from that one thing, which is like a big, huge, like, Bethel being like black is such a huge intrinsic part to the character. If you like look in the original issues of New Mutants, it's like his dad is it's his origin story. B L A C K. Yeah, which is like cool because he's rich. You have some Afro Latino heritage. I mean, I'm very like light skinned because I don't go out in the sun ever. But <laughs> there's Afro Latino in my family, right? Let's. I don't want to get down a rabbit hole about that movie. Sure. I just was pointing out that Claremont wrote Danny and Rain as one of his like very queer coded relationships, and the yes. movie made that textual. So, if you read Rain as a lesbian, mm-hmm. a lot of the things that Rain does make a lot more sense. Like if she's a tortured lesbian who's like so determined to not be a sinner that she acts out heterosexually in these really inappropriate ways, like that kind of makes sense but i don't know i think that character is a mess this is one of the worst things she does yeah the problem is she justifies it and feels like she's doing a favor to richter by like trying to like lie to him and tell him like oh you're the father of my child it's like definitely a live omission but even before that like she walks in on richter and shatterstar about to have sex and she has like a homophobic panic attack and fights shatterstar yeah true It's a lot. I don't like that girl. I just don't. 
they go for an ultrasound and like the baby is invisible. So they realize pretty quickly that it's not Richter's baby because it's like a magical baby. And then it's revealed that it's Rain's baby with Rimhari, the wolf prince from Asgard. Don't worry about it. Truly does not matter. I love those stories. I love the original stories, like the Rain and Asgard stuff. But did Rimhari show up at the second version, like where they write Denny Moonstar out? He's in the first one in 1985. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, he pops up again when like Hela has possessed Danny and all of that stuff. After Ragnarok, he just shows up in uh, Kyost X-Force and they rekindle their relationship. But yeah, so she's just straight up lying to Richter and it's gross. She eventually gives away the baby to the werewolf by night. Like, truly don't worry about it. We'll get to this in a rain episode someday. It all leads into the Hell Lords, which is like the worst part of Peter David X Factor. Oh, the Hell and the Hell and Earth War. I just going back a little bit, like I do appreciate that, like, as much as it's tough to like deal with homophobia. <laughs> yeah, that's a very fraught statement to make. But like I do appreciate that Peter David did not like shy away from, you know, liberal versions of homophobia. Yeah. Like, yeah. With Rain, is it was a little bit more extreme. Strong guy. Strong guy also cracks a lot of like homophobic jokes about it. Like he's like, I'm joking, but it's like, are you? It's like, you know, it, it makes Richter very uncomfortable. Yeah. Which like, it, you know, it's, it's tough because you almost want to like protect your, your faves. But like, I do, I, there's almost something very like, like very confident. I do appreciate that, like that we did that. Yeah, but I just feel like Peter David's confidence with Rain has always been maybe a little overconfident. Like he has no sure. problem just writing that character, dumping on her. Yeah, yeah, making her just a dreadful person. It feels at a certain point like enough. Like it's sort of like how over the course of X Factor, like Terry just gets written more and more and more crazy, and it's like enough. You know, yeah, I'll I'll defer to you on like the Wolfsbane part. I did not read any of the pad, like the original version of X Factor. Yeah, where she's like, you know, slave bonded to Havoc because of the Genosian mutate process and all that weird stuff. I don't know anything about that. Good for you. Love that for you. Just like reading Cannonball and Richter, I feel like I've almost read every every appearance of Siren too. So just out of like the Fallen Angels into yeah x-force and so like i feel kind of like connected to that character too she's great i feel like she got really screwed by peter david in this book to some extent and that it wasn't until leah williams rescued her in this recent run on x factor that she was a viable character again and i'm excited to see what happens to her now the hell on earth war is very tough for like i would say almost all the characters in x factor they all get written to like a very odd corner. They all get written into corners that make it really hard for other writers to use them. Yes. And I feel like only Monet really like survived that jump. And that's because Brian Wood decided to move her to. Uh, yeah, because Brian Wood and then um, G. Willow Wilson. And Colin Bunn, like a couple people just sort of kept yeah. her around on X-Men teams. So anyway, after that whole plot with the baby, that's when Children's Crusade happens and Richter gets repowered. And he is, as you noted, much more powerful now. His powers are sort of not just vibrating and shaking things, but he now has basically, he's like an earth elemental. Yes. Which is a broader power set. It makes sense to level him up a bit. It means we never need to use magma again, which is always helpful. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. The magma fans, at this point, I'm teasing the magma fans because they always write in like, I love magma. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are there magma fans? 
There are like three, and I feel bad. Okay, for them. so I'm. I'm I do feel bad to for you. So nicer about magma. You had your moment back in X Men Evolution. That was the good magma. The good magma. We tried to make her happen. She was the main character from X Men Legends. Oh God, I know. Yeah, that was a real moment. The Allison Cressmere of it all. We did try to make her a white woman very hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, if she's going to be a white woman, I don't know. They they were like trying to fix it. That was the Cree Summer going back to like She Hulk. Cree Summer voiced her in that game. Did she really? She sure did. <laughs> she played that white blonde woman very well. That is the whitest character Cree Summer has ever voiced, probably. But like, no, Cree Summer voices like all, all kinds of characters. Sure like, does. I just. I never played that one, and I'm trying to imagine Cree Summer's voice coming out of magma. It's just, like, hard for me to conceptualize. Because if nothing more than, like, Cree Summer is cool. Like, she has, like, a cool factor. Mm -hmm. She's, like, a musician. She's, like, you know, like, magma. I just feel like if I were hiring a voice actor for magma, it would just be, like, a very prim and proper kind of Which is interesting because the character design was that. It's, like... She was wearing the ultimate, yeah, the, the same ultimate X Men costume that everyone wore. Well, right, because it's the Alice and Cressmere version. Yes. They don't do the Nova Roma stuff. And her hair was like very short. Yeah, because like in my head, it should be like a Game of Thrones person doing like a very like RP British accent because she's you know an ancient Roman, and in media, ancient Romans have British accents. They sure do. We accept that. During the Hell and Earth War, Richter and Shatterstar are apparently killed by Mephisto. Don't worry about it. And then they pop up in Mojo World, and then we get the whole story that's very complicated where shatter starts his own grandpa again i feel bad for luke to have to like talk about this next week <laughs> we'll get into it next week it's very tough like richter looks like fucking jonathan van ness in this story it's <laughs> no you he does you, he does he has like the same beard he really he does hair. his coloring he's vi- it's almost wow. the whitest he's ever looked it's like I'm looking at a panel right now, and he yes. does look just like JBS. Yes, he does. That's wild, actually. The thing about that that's crazy is, like, that's his last storyline in X-Factor Investigations. They think he's dead, and he's actually in Mojo World with Shatterstar, and they're figuring stuff out. After that, he is, again, gone for a while. Like, he has a couple cameos. Like, you find out in the Iceman solo that he and Shatterstar broke up, or, like, they're on a break. Again, I think they're Polly. Well, but Richter doesn't think so. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's the vibe. That's true. He is a possessive person. Yeah. Like, Shatterstar is definitely, like, a poly-type person. And Richter is not. And is very, like, we're supposed to be monogamous. That's what I want. And that's part of their conflict, right? Yeah. That's after they make a cameo in, like, the Secret Empire storyline. I did read that. you don't have to worry about again. He fights Daisy Johnson, which is kind of fun. The like only thing that, like, that I like took from that is his, he looks good with a mustache. <laughs> but uh, talk about, again, he looks so white. He does very look white, yeah. He looks like Tom Selleck. That's how much I love your podcast. I read fucking an Inhumans miniseries to be on this podcast. Uh, so You're an angel. I do love you very much. Thank you, honey. And then he's in the Age of X-Man reality, but like we don't really talk about those alternate reality stories, so it doesn't matter. But like that's really like it until Krakoa. It's like a six-year period from the end of X-Factor Investigations to Excalibur Volume 4, where he's never a regular cast member anywhere, which is kind of crazy because he was a pretty prominent character for a long time. That Peter David run was so beloved. Is Money the only person that like doesn't Madrox was around okay. sometimes, but they kept killing him off and like that's true. He's he's great for crowd scenes to murder. Yeah, and like Rosenberg does that mini, the multiple man mini with him. Mm-hmm. 
But for the most part, literally all of those characters were screwed except for Monet. Monet. Until Krakoa. And then he pops up on Krakoa and gets into the Excalibur of it all. I just want to back up a little bit. Dead Souls is great. Mm-hmm. It feels almost like a little return to form. Yeah. With like X Factor. With That's him. also by Rosenberg. Yes. It is the magic miniseries basically where we get into uh, Shan's whole backstory like with Tran. Yeah. That was like the one thing I, I got into like yesterday. I, I had read it months ago, but like kind of getting back into it is very much like a nice primer. Well, it makes sense to reread that now because of the plot going on with Shannon Tran right now. In New yeah. Mutants. Yeah. I think it's a cute Richter story. Richter and Shatterstar are back together in Dead Souls. And then into Shatterstar miniseries too. They kind of like took a break. It's like very on again, off again. Is yes. Sense. Yeah. Because after the soft reboot through House of X, Shatterstar is nowhere to be found and Richter is like suicidally depressed again. Finally, Brown again, though, which is nice to see. And Apocalypse shows up, drags him out of bed and makes him his mystical apprentice, basically. And that leads into the whole direction he's taken now, where he's become obsessed with magic, with this new druidic angle to his powers. He's become very enraptured with the magic of Otherworld. He clearly developed romantic feelings, in my opinion, for Apocalypse, which is fascinating. I know you hate it. He's shaking his head really big. I'm not a fan of A. I mean, I think that it's good for you to, like, object because we're supposed to not feel like we're not supposed to ship it right like it's supposed no, to be it's, it's funny because like gambit is very much the voice of dissent about apocalypse the whole yeah the whole series he's the voice of dissent it's hard because richter like as much as richter is always kind of like the one that kind of like stands back and is like i said we, we he speaks truth to power in this sense he gets kind of gets wrapped up a lot like of people with strength mm-hmm. and apocalypse gives him like a purpose and yes. so he gets very culty about it because he feels yes. like he's like i found a reason to keep living he's very important and like mm-hmm. he's been treated as the you know the heir to apocalypse you know the magic and then like i have to say the most relatable gay plot they've ever given richter is the guy you were seeing gets back with his ex-wife that's like, I really do. Because like he is so angry about He's it. He's so into it. It's so funny because you, you you read the early issues. He's very, he is skeptical. And then like, as you get into it, it's like, oh no, he, he buys in a little bit more and He gets more. seduced. He, de- he gets and seduced. And Apocalypse is very seductive. I mean, that always has been his thing. But not to me. Well, I'm not saying like sexy. I'm just saying like he. No, I think I think people with power. You look at what he does to Caliban in the 80s. It's like very similar, you know, which is fun because, you know, they had they had the relationship with Caliban. And when Caliban gets turned into the horseman, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like the same sort of thing where like Richter feels very like weird about it. And then he almost he gets wrapped in, you know, later. Yeah, I think it's a good story about how when you are depressed like that, yeah, someone who offers you hope and a purpose can make you do almost anything. And I think we're supposed to be distressed somewhat yes. by the turn that Richter has taken. And I think that Teeny is taking that character to interesting places. What did you think of the most recent issue, the one at the gala where he and Shatterstar reunite? Again, 
I identify with Richter so much where it's like, we don't want to be at the party, <laughs> but we, we have to be invited to the fucking party. Like you, I, I have to, you be, have to there, be invited, but you don't want to go. Be like, a grumpy, like you don't, you certainly like, don't want to stay. Yes. And then like Shatterstar, like being covered in blood, which again is a little hot, but not to Richter at the moment, but it's inappropriate. It's hot, but it's inappropriate. Right. And he's also just like upset because I mean, I imagine they're going to talk but, like, I don't think Richter knows where Shatterstar has been. Mm-mm. So, as far as Richter knows, Shatterstar just fell off the face of the earth one day and ghosted. So, like... Because well, that was, that was like, the whole the plot of Shatterstar, the miniseries. Right. Like, it's happened before, right? Yeah. So... It's like Richter, Richter is the earth. He's the anchor. You know, Shatterstar is kind of, like, out there. And, like, he feels like, I'm here. I'm connected to the earth. I'm, like, I'm here. And so... He probably just felt like Shatterstar was just like running off and doing like other things, which I, I appreciate that. Like as much as that miniseries was kind of like a return for to Shatterstar, it was like a, um, a syncretic version of like the pad version where he's like, oh, I'm like kind of goofy and like I'm kind of out there. And the more like grounded sort of like warrior version of um, Shatterstar that like Liefeld kind of did. From X, where it's like Liefeld and Nisiaisa and all Yeah, those, so yeah. it felt kind of like a nice, kind of like a return to... I just think it makes sense that after all of their history together, like, yes. it seemed entirely plausible to Richter that Shatterstar had just bounced without saying anything. Yeah. It's like, maybe maybe the, the Sailor Moon girl just showed up again, and right. like, we're trying to like fight a little bit, and so like, you know, he doesn't know what happened in Mojo. Yeah, and Shatterstar doesn't know what happened with Apocalypse. But by the end of the issue, it does seem like they're moving toward getting back together or at least, you know, toward trying to talk it out and whatnot. And so I think that we are going to start to see a turnaround for Richter. He's been very cranky since Ten of Swords. For sure. He's been cranky the whole Excalibur, honestly. Yeah, but particularly like... There's that moment where they're trying to bring Betsy back and he's like, I starved myself for this and it's not working. Like the magic, he's obsessed. He's gotten so in deep with the magical stuff because it makes him feel special and it makes him still feel connected to this man who told him he was special. Yes. Which like people don't really tell Richter that he's special often. Like that's never really happened. So Apocalypse being like, you are so much more powerful than you realize. You are a standard bearer for the new age of mutant kind that really appeals to him because no one's ever really said something like that to him before. because richter again another thing that i identify with is like daddy issues for sure mm-hmm. because like his dad died his dad was like you know his world and then his dad was murdered when he was like six years old so i feel like there's definitely like a hole in his heart that was filled by like say cable and then almost madrox and then now a yeah that like is telling him that he's important that he's special that he's going to be like the vanguard for the future mutant kind and that's like all he wants it's that is literally all that he wants to be told by a father figure that he is good and that he matters and that he's powerful and strong and you know all of that yes well i think that's a good time for us to segue into the listener questions We got a bunch because I've had it open for a while for submissions on all of the uh, Pride Month characters. Alexis Valentin writes, Hi, Connor and esteemed guest. Richter's one of my favorite characters as someone who is Latino and a late blooming gay with some daddy issues. I feel him and I are very much kindred spirits. So you two should talk sometime. 
We've seen Julio's powers expand because of druidic magic. Had he not been drafted into Excalibur by Apocalypse, what other routes do you think Julio would have gone with in the new Krakoan status quo? Personally, I think he would have been awesome for outreach to young mutants. Yes. Secondly, do we all agree Shatterstar and Julio are the one true pairing? Thanks, Alexis. I think they're certainly like the end game ship, right? But they have a lot of differences that I think they do need to sort out before they can be happy together. And maybe now is the time when they can finally do that. Yeah, I definitely like I, I definitely identify with all those things you just mentioned about like, you know, I'm Latino came out late. I wish I found like a tall ginger, like hot, <laughs> like person to, <laughs> to be partners with. But like, I feel like just because like he they kind of got in there very early into Richter's life, like, you know, in the 90s where X-Force and Shatterstar, they're both, a lot of their character development is very intertwined. I don't really see, like, it, this is just kind of like a thing with Marvel. It's almost like once the gays start getting together, like, intertwining, it's like, that's kind of where you have to go with it. It's just been, they've been building up so long. It's been, you know, 20 years now, mm-hmm. or almost 20 years. It's like, you almost kind of have to go there. They're just kind of building towards each other. It's been more than 20 years at this point, if you count like the early X-Force stories. Yeah. I think they're like Rogue and Gambit in Mm -hmm. that they're a pair to the fandom that you really can't separate for too long. They're actually, I mean, Steve Fox and I talked about how our big problem with the North Star and Kyle relationship is that it just appears fully formed and we're supposed to care about it, but there's no setup what Shatterstar and Richter provide by having all those stories before they were allowed to be textual on page is they do have that long history the way that a couple like Rogan Gambit does. There are all these old stories you can go back and read. It does feel like there's a lot of weight to it. And so, yeah, I think that they, they probably belong together. As for what else Richter could be doing on Krakoa, I agree that youth outreach is something he's good at. I think he would be good with the New Mutants team that's happening now. I want to see him and Tabby with the New Mutants. It's like, again, we we kind of ignore the fact that they were like there. Well, it's because they were never at Xavier's is the thing. They right? were not. And they were not Magneto either. It was like. Right. It's after the New Mutants abandon Xavier's and Magneto. Yeah. And they move into X-Factor's ship. And the exterminators merge in. So Tabby and Julio were never students at Xavier's until the Cable era mm-hmm. in X-Force. I think that's why they get separated out in people's heads. But I agree that they're friends with these people. They've known these people forever. Like they should be in that social circle. But I've liked Richter being isolated because I think Teeny's done a lot of character work with him that required him to be on a team with characters he doesn't know very well. I think like... If he had Tabby or someone like that to talk to, he wouldn't have kind of gone off the deep end as much as he did. Yeah. It needed to be Betsy and Rogue and Gambit and Jubilee, who he doesn't particularly know very well, you know? I would like to see one of those characters, like, gravitate into. I guess the only one that's not doing anything is Tabby. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to see her doing more. Pame Bravo writes, Hi, Connor and Lewis. I've been waiting for this episode so long. Richter is my favorite mutant. He's my number one. I mean, he's a brown gay Mexican. And I'm a brown lesbian Mexican. How could I not love him? And the fact that he's one of the few Latina superheroes actually born and raised in Mexico is what makes his relationship with his family and country very interesting to me. 
Richter loves both his family and country, but he also hates what they do, and I can connect with that. Mexico is beautiful, but the violence and corruption here can't be ignored. And it's well-known Latinos tend to be very close to their families, but most families are very traditional and conservative, so we're sadly raised in a machista and homophobic society. And we can see in X-Force how Julio has a complicated relationship with both because he knows that many of his insecurities are due to his upbringing. As Danny mentions in an issue, he hides behind a tough guy act. So when he decides to fight his own family, along with Shatterstar, to confront them somehow about what they did to him, it meant a lot to me as a Mexican. But these themes that were central to Richter during the 80s and 90s have been forgotten. Now his relationship to Mexico and Latinic culture is very rarely brought up, and that's a shame. What do you think is the reason? Do you think it's because Fabian Niciesa, a Latino man, was writing him during those years, and since then, no Latino writer has done it again? Also, what do you and your guests think about how we can associate Richter's macho behavior during X-Force to him being in the closet and trying very hard not to look gay because of the way he was raised. I mean, his dad took him to work, gun trafficking, so he could make a man out of him when he was just a kid. So I think it's very interesting how his story takes on new meanings now that we know he's gay. Sorry if my English is not so good and for my very long questions, but thanks for the podcast. Keep up the good work. Your English is fabulous, so don't apologize. I just want to say thank you because, like, you've been someone I follow in on Twitter, and so, like, you've kind of been helpful for this whole episode. I followed your guide, and so... Um, I just want to say thank you in advance before we answer this question. Like, you're great and, you know, don't feel weird about your, like, English. Yeah, truly. Like, you should hear my Spanish. It's fucking atrocious. Like, un pequeño solamente, and it is not good. <laughs> Richter, Richter. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't feel super equipped to opine, but that's why you're here. <laughs> it's tough because, like, Fabian said, like, he said that he doesn't identify as Latino. He feels like a white guy. His ancestry is Spanish. So he considers himself to be yeah. like a white Latino, you know, is I guess the terminology yeah. you would use now. He doesn't think of himself as a person of color, but he was born in Argentina and has an immigrant experience that he thinks informed his stories. And I think that this is, you know, Richter's story is also a Latin immigrant experience that I think he was drawing on some of his own thoughts, presumably. I mean, he said that he picked... Richter to be the straight character who Shatterstar gets a crush on because of that machismo element, right? Like, and that's what he wanted to dig into and to have the character from that kind of culture realize that gay people are people too. Like, that was sort of the idea. And it takes on a whole new layer, as Pamit points out, once Richter is the gay character, <laughs> obviously, because then it's a self loathing problem, right? It's funny because I don't feel like he is very self-loathing it's more like he's he has a very complicated relationship with his father specifically like we kind of see in x-force he has like a little it's so funny because that that is almost always extracted like to his masculine side of the family it's like an uncle or a cousin it's like Mm -hmm. whereas like he's like cool with his like mom and all he's like we're gonna hang out with like our family that's like over there and he, he feels like very more disconnected with his drug running masculine side of the family it's just tough because I feel I feel like we're kind of in this like kind of these kind of like later X-Men eras where like we're very much getting into like the whole mutant side of the family. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We're very much like more about like how how everyone feels about being Krakoan. Yeah, Krakoan, like or even before that like Utopian, we're more like mutants. It's like we're kind of trying to be like multicultural. It's very melting pot, mm-hmm. honestly. It's like one of the issues that I've had like going on with X-Men going kind of back, we kind of flatten the experience of like being intersectional. Yeah. 
Because the mutant metaphor can sort of take over everything. Yes, it's it's easier in respect, like say if there's one writer writing one character, whereas like if you're writing six or seven different characters, you kind of have to like make the metaphor and the story fit all those characters where you're not really able to drill down. We kind of talked about this, like where after X-Force, all that Mexican stuff kind of goes away. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not in the Peter David X Factor at all. It's not in Peter David X Factor. It's not in any of the other stories going on after that. Uh, because it's giving a lot of real estate to one character in Excalibur. Like the story is Betsy's story, really. I would say of the other characters, Richter has had the most emphasis in that book. Rereading, I agree. But it's not very connected to like his story back at home. No, because it's about this new thing that it's he's very building. connected to the druid. Yes. And I feel like that's what the Kokoa era is about. It's more like we're trying to expand this mutant metaphor into like what it's going to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Richter is a part of building. We're kind of looking back at the past and we're trying to build towards what magic will be. And he's very much the focus on like what the magic will be. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to have his family come up again, given how much he has changed since the last time he interacted with them in the 90s. For sure. You know? So few X-Men characters have that relationship with their family. It's like, we kind of like cut them off. Yeah. Then we knew me and it's like, Danny Moonstar's family's dead. Sean Coman's family is dead. Yeah, Rain has no family besides Moira. Herberto doesn't talk to his father. Is his dad alive? No, Gideon kills him at one point. Sure. After all the Hellfire stuff. And his mom does not care. Yeah. Well, his mom, they are like, isn't she like an archaeologist or something? She is. That's how they end up in Nova Roma. She's just like this white lady archaeologist. <laughs> Roberto's always talking about his mom's on the dig. Yeah. And she's always she's famously always on the dig. Just so. always out there digging. Richter's one of the few people that has like a family out there that we can like visit. Oh, that's something it would be fun to see Richter do is like some archaeology. Yeah. Some mutant archaeology. He can go to Rocco. He can go to Araco, yeah, and like peek around. I mean, maybe if they let him in. Yeah. Or um, he could go to like Turkey and Greece and see what Celine was up to all those gazillion years ago. Eating people. Yeah, but like also like mutant magic, you know? I th- yeah. Which leads into a question from Tanya B, who writes, Hi, Connor and Lewis. I love the podcast. And I'm glad you're talking about queer characters all June. Now my questions. You and your guests have probably noticed how through the years, Rick is constantly changing style and design. My favorite ones are the Greg Capullo X-Force look. Those knee-high green boots, the ripped pants and long hair are high fashion. And the Shatterstar miniseries punk look. He looked so hot. So which ones are your favorites? Another thing that's constantly changing through the years is how his powers work. During X-Factor, New Mutants, and X-Force, he mostly used his vibe quakes. And while he moved rocks and talked about a connection to the Earth one time, when he flew using trees, I loved that, by the way, <laughs> his powers were considered mostly vibratory. Then in X-Factor Investigations, we discovered he'd actually feel the Earth, too. But that wasn't explored until now in Excalibur. I think that book is leaning more into the Earth part because we recently saw his, him control vines and lava, which is a good upgrade. But what do you think about it? Does he have a double mutation, the generation of vibrations and the connection to the Earth? Or are those the same power, but used differently? Thanks for the great podcast again. So before we get into the fashion of it all, my interpretation of the power thing is that the thing about Richter, he's a lot like Havoc. He's afraid of his power because in his origin story, definitely afraid. it's, it's like, used to try and like, yes. it's, it is exploited by bigots to try and kill people. So he's very, he's always been very afraid to experiment with it. And so I think that what happened was 
after he was decimated. We don't find out about his, like, I was connected to the whole earth. I felt everything. That's something Peter David adds after it's gone, because that's part of why he's, like, suicidal at the beginning of X-Factor Investigations. Then, once Wanda gave him his powers back, and before you ask, like, why didn't she keep giving people their powers back... Dr. Doom makes it so she can't anymore. So only Richter, who's the guinea pig, gets his powers back. After that, I think he was so overjoyed to have his powers back that he started leaning into more like, let's see what I can do. And then in this run of Excalibur, this is when we've finally seen him push outward into just general earth control. And it's because Apocalypse encouraged him, made him face the things he doesn't like about himself. And it's also about the concept of mutant magic that's been introduced, which is that mutant magic and mutant technology are clearly fundamentally the same thing, right? Which is like Clark's third law. That makes sense. Like sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. But they're a little different in flavor. And it seems to me like while mutant technology is only circuits, like combining powers, mutant magic, while it can be used in that way for like the little coven arrangements with like the acts of creation and stuff like that, it also seems like, especially when you're in other world, mutant power can be used to channel magical energy in a way that is special. Because magic in the Marvel Universe is an actual force that you can identify. It's a type of energy, right? So I think that it's sort of both. And I think that by embracing the magic and embracing the idea that his power is something good and something important and something that will help his people as opposed to this terrible thing that might be used to harm people he's been able to evolve the power and expand it. It's kind of like how Jean Grey starts as just a very basic telekinetic in the 60s. And then by the time she's Phoenix, she's making force fields and things like that. Or like Sue Storm did the same thing, actually. He kind of goes from having a very one-note power to the logical extension of being connected to seismic waves is like, you'd have to be connected to the tectonic plates in the earth. Right. So like it's a natural outgrowth, I think. And it makes the character a lot more versatile, no pun intended on his love life, but you know, it gives him the, uh, <laughs> it gives him the opportunity to do more stuff in more plots. I think it's a really smart evolution of the character and I'm excited to see where it's going because I mean, we just saw, him do a real feat moment with all those other druids in the most recent issue of Excalibur where he separated the lighthouse off onto its own island from the British coast. So he's getting more and more powerful and I'm, I'm intrigued to see where it all goes. As for like Richter looks, I honestly, like I love what he's wearing right now. I love all of his looks in Excalibur and I love the original look from the 80s. And that's about it. I'm like not crazy about that 90s look, although I did have the action figure. Lou, what are your thoughts? Again, we're the opposite. Yeah, I mean, you know. I like his druid look. I, I kind of like the, the arms being out, the hood. Yeah. But like, I don't like his normal, like I'm on Kokoa. It's like very like plain bodysuit sort. I don't like mm -hmm. that. It's like, I like him... I like the long flowing hair. Again, we're... We're just different on that score. Yeah. The only long hair, I'm like fine with it. I'm not into the Fabio moment. It's just like not for me. What? I just like love like the long flowing like brown hair with like the, the fringe. And even though like he didn't really have that in the Shadow Star miniseries, 
um he had like the the vest i kind of like i do like the whole like vest spiky the spiky is very much like don't touch me it's very like you know i feel it feels like right to me he kind of wants to like put a little bit distance between him and the people around him mm-hmm. as much as like that's not physically in the space of where he's at in Excalibur right now it feels like emotionally that's kind of like where he is it's like a is the only person that's allowed to be around me right all you people like you're fine I'll like watch your baby a little bit like we're different yeah related question from Luke Ruddick who next week's guest for the Shatterstar episode Hi, Cerebro and guest. That's shady. He knows exactly who you are. Rude. Rude. That made me laugh. As always, huge fan of the podcast. When it comes to the character of Richter, I have what I think is a very important question. As a fledgling nation, Krakoa still seems to be finding itself in a lot of ways, and the future looks to be set to throw it into even more upheaval. So in an uncertain nation with only three laws, how and when will Richter answer for his crimes against fashion? Shredded jeans, knee pads, neckerchiefs, fringe, asymmetrical shoulder pads, to say nothing of his occasional facial hair choices. What would Jumbo Carnation say? Lou, can you defend your boy and his fashion choices? I, I reject this question. It's <laughs> like he's been punked this entire time. Like he's not. He, no, Luke, he's been hot this entire time. Like maybe like when he was spiky and like had, the, had like the, the vest, not into it that much, probably because I was not a teen at the time when I read it. But like the whole time from X Force, he was very hot. And again, I, I just reject this question. It's very rude. Luke is rude, and we'll see what happens next week when it's time for questions to Shatterstar. I love you, Luke, though. (laughs) We got a couple questions about Richter's coming out, and I think we've covered a lot of that content, but I did want to read this question from Alana Levin. Hi, Connor and Lewis. I remember how happy I was when PAD decided to make Richter and Shatterstar canonically a couple. If I recall, PAD implied that this was in response to fans telling him that they'd always read Richter and Shatterstar as having romantic feelings for each other. It felt like someone with power at Marvel was saying, yes, we hear you. You are not crazy. This is indeed some very gay shit. Of course, we shouldn't need heterosexual writers to validate our queer readings of characters, but it does seem to have some additional power in whether canon sticks. When queer writers say a character is queer, well, that's just subjective. But when a straight writer says so, people seem to take it seriously. I think Nisiesa did make some intentionally queer choices here. Do you think Guido saying I didn't see that coming when they finally kiss positions Guido as a stand-in for the heterosexual reader who somehow missed the years of subtext? What are your thoughts on the way queer fans respond to heterosexual creators turning our theories into canon? Love this podcast. Alana from Graphic Policy Radio who sometimes cosplays as Shatterstar. She does have long flowing red hair so that makes sense to me. She sure does. I thought this was an interesting angle because I do think that the fact of the matter is it is invariably straight men who are allowed to make these choices most of the time. Bendis did it with Bobby after Marjorie Lou was told no. PAD did it with Julio and Star. The on-panel Destiny is my wife moment that we got from Mystique finally was Jonathan Hickman. I think that it is contingent a lot of the time on these writers who are straight men who are beloved by fans to sort of get permission to do that you know what I mean whereas I think that a lot of the time when queer writers talk about their queer headcanons it's perceived as like agenda driven or as subjective and I think that that's fucked up So, like, my position is always I'm very grateful 
when these straight writers with clout do it, but I don't think we should have to rely on them. Yeah, it's very much like them using their privilege yeah. to like make these things happen, which I do appreciate. Like I appreciate Bendis like making Iceman, like he definitely pushed that shit through. Like after so many years of like people trying to make it happen, like he was able yeah. to make that. He was able, he was like at the height, you know, he was able to push that through. It's tough because I don't want to like necessarily give all these people flowers for like doing the bare minimum, but like we do kind of have to a little bit be like, I'm very appreciative to them for doing that. And I wish that like we were able to give the space to people that are currently writing the books to like make those things happen. I wish that we were able to like, you know, just make all these things push through Richter and Chatterstar were able to happen because they're like B and C list characters. And I wish that we were able to like do a little bit more with, you know, our top tier. And I know know the people writing right now are are trying very hard. And like, I wish that we could almost like give them our power to like make these things happen. Panda 2 writes, Good day, Connor and Lewis. Excalibur has been a wild ride. Most recently, magic druids versus racist mages. Richter becoming druid king and getting a magic shillelagh for his troubles. The parallels from the UK pulling out of their alliance with Krakoa to Brexit just made me giggle and get kind of sad. Brits being racist and isolationist in any universe. Woo! That being said, losing a heavy hitter with Rogue going off, King Rick, Captain Britain and company need more magic and might in the team. Seems Megan and Stark could be signing up to Team Excalibur, but who else would you want to join the current roster to make the 616 UK get a grip and wherever else their adventures might take them? Love the pod and your take on things. Can't wait for the rest of the Pride episodes. Thanks for reading this question. We got a couple questions about like Richter's druid thing. How do you feel about him like using this European magic? It's like tough because it is like, it's Excalibur. Right. So it's like they're in England. So it has to be British. I like that he is the idea of this Mexican guy showing up and being it's a lot like Danny becoming a Valkyrie. It's like I am not intimidated by this shit. Like you hold this very sacred to me. It's something that is a beads to an end that is interesting to me. Like I'm just studying this. It's not my religion. You know what I mean? That's a great comparison, honestly. So for that, I think it is interesting. I like the idea of this like Mexican mutant becoming the king of the druids because they all look at him and they're like, you're so much more powerful than any of us could ever be. Like that I think is cool. I think though that now that he's into magic and he's like learning sorcery, let's absolutely throw some like Mexican magic stuff in there. I think that would be fun. I agree. That said, to get back to Panda's question, I agree that Megan is definitely, it seems, joining the team based on the solicits. I think Shatterstar also seems like he might be joining up or at least become a supporting character while he and Rick work out their stuff. It's not super clear yet. I'm sure we'll know more next month. Which characters would you like to see join this team, if any? My initial response is like Tabby because mm. like that's like his ride or die. Like they're, they're right. always like very like, you know, best friends. And she, I feel like she'd be the one to call him out in his shit. The issue is just that she and Jubilee are so overlappy. They are know, very so similar. and power-wise. Yeah. So I don't know if that would work if Jubilee is sticking around. Yeah. 
I think that for me, like, this is not Richter related, but given that unfortunately X Factor is ending, I would like to see Rachel come back to Excalibur, yeah. which, you know, she was part of that classic Excalibur team. She and Megan had a really interesting and deep friendship that I think it would be fun to bring back. And obviously, I'm all aboard the Rachel and Betsy as a romance train. So I would love to see that develop more. Again, like we were saying to Alana's question, we have to wait and see if that comes to fruition on the page. It's clear to me that it's there. Yeah. Much like Richter and Chatterstar are there. You know what I mean? Before PAD got the go ahead to do that. Yeah. It's tough because all like the easy responses would be like, they're, they're all like doing stuff. They're all characters who are already doing things. Yeah. They're all in New Mutants or they're like in Sword or whatever. So like, I can't really think of anyone that I'd pull in. It's just like Tabitha's the one that's not doing anything. Tabitha would be great. It's just that, yeah, I just, I think that she and Jubilee would be a little redundant. Yeah. And I do like, you know, I'm trying to think of people from X Factor Investigations, but like, right, who's who's left like Guido and you know, Siren, mm-hmm. maybe she and Shatterstar are like bound now through the Morrigan curse or whatever. I wouldn't be surprised if she turned up there. That would be nice. I mean, she's from Ireland. That would be cute. I might not, that would, and she and Richter have a long history together, so that could be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's say Siren. Brev Tanner writes. Connor and guests, as always, thank you for the show. It's a highlight of my week. As an original ward of X Factor, what is it about Richter that has made him stand out to creators post-New Mutants, unlike Rusty and Skids? Boom Boom, of course, oozes with character. But why Richter and not Rusty or Skids? All the flat scan love, Brev. I think that it really just comes down to those are the two that Liefeld wanted to use, and X-Force was a big hit. Mm -hmm. And I think that Liefeld wanted to use Richter because his power was cool, I think it added a little diversity to the team, which like is something that I do think they were, I mean, I don't know how much Rob Liefeld cares about that, but they were discussing that in the office, certainly. I think Liefeld liked the backstory and so did Nisiesa, like the stuff with his family was like an interesting beat. There was the idea of like tying Strife and Cable into all of that. Rusty and Skids don't really have a backstory you can add stuff to. They have pretty basic origin stories, like my power activated in a traumatic way and now I'm with X Factor. And I just think that those characters were seen as very much part of the wheezy X Factor and just didn't stick when they were brought over to New Mutants, whereas Richter and Boom Boom just did. I also think that because Rusty and Skids were a couple, there was less you could do with them, whereas Richter and Boom Boom, you could throw into these love triangles immediately, which they did. Like there was a Richter Boom Boom Rain love triangle. And then at the same time, there was a Boom Boom Cannonball Sunspot love triangle. There was more soapy plot you could do, whereas Rusty and Skids were very much like a pair by that point. Yeah, I, mean, I guess like um, Richter and, and Boom Boom, they were kind of were a pair too as well, but like... But like they weren't dating. They're not boring. They're also not boring. Like, I love Skids, but those characters are not as dynamic as Richter and Boo Boom. They just aren't. It's like um, w- when, you're, when, you, when you're talking about integrating the Exterminators into X-Factor, it's like, what characters would you bring over? Right. Rusty is like a little similar to Cannonball. They're both the older brother. They're both like whatever. Sam has more of a history with the rest of the team. I would say he's a little bit more interesting than, than Rusty is. Skids, I don't think she adds much to the existing team. I think Skids just didn't feel like she was adding something to the team that the other girls didn't already have going plus other stuff. Yeah, like Richter and Boom Boom are so dynamic. It's like they're pop. Like as soon as you throw them in, 
they're very much in like an X factor, like pardon the pun. But like, though they are, I mean, and they become breakout stars of X-Force very quickly. Yeah. Boom Boom is really the character that screws Skids over because they have the exact sure. same backstory, which is like, I fled from an abusive father. And Tabby is fun because she's trashy. Yeah. Tabby is like from the streets and she's fun. Whereas like Skids was always like, I'm on the streets trying to survive, but like, that's not who I am. It's tough to like be in the team when you hate being a mutant. There's that too. Rusty and Skids yeah. hate being mutants. So there's that. They're very much kind of like the proto Firestar Injustice. Firestar Injustice. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. Krakoa Welcomes asks, what is Richter's grinder handle? Oh boy. I feel like Shake has to be in there somewhere. Like shakes or like vibe. Yeah, I was going to say good vibes only was my... <laughs> yes, it, no, it has to be good vibes only. Because yeah. it's so funny because, like, we talk about this now, but, like, he was saying that shit, like, ages ago. He's been saying that shit since the 80s. Yeah, my vibe. Yes, he has. He's always been vibing with stuff. He was always vibing. <laughs> so that would be that would be my choice. Well, Lou, thank you so much for being my guest. Do you have anything else you want to say about Richter before we start to wrap? I don't think so. Like, he's been such a, like, a... Uh, a very like stalwart character, especially since like Pad was able to like pull him out of obscurity. And I'm just interested to see like what Teeny does with him. I do appreciate that she's she's been putting so much love and care into that character. Like I feel like once you kind of got into the Pad mill, that like you kind of get seen as like belonging to that one creator, whereas like she's you know she's trying to, she's trying to pull in a bunch of different influences from all up about his history and so i'm very interested to see like where she goes forward the hellfire gala like makes me very excited to see where he and shatterstar goes from here and good luck to him and his ginger very hot man i want the best for them and i do think that shatterstar would be a fun addition to the team would be fun in other worlds i want to see his warrior like DD costume well he would be the barbarian right like that would be oh their you D&D know what party. yes like no shirt, just vibes. Yeah, no shirt, just vibes. And like, use that blood that you're covered in to like make some little patterns or whatever. Like, draw like a star on your chest or whatever. Like some Mojoverse symbol. It wasn't that different from like the um, the tree like shit that he had all over his like suit. Honestly, we'll just like, he'll be the red version of that. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for being my guest. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I know that you were nervous about coming on the show, but I think we've been had a great time. I think the listeners are going to enjoy this episode. Why don't you tell them where they can follow you on social media? I am King Lupa, like on everything. It's K-I-N-G-L-O-U-P-A. Twitter, Instagram is pretty much the biggest thing. Like if, if you want to play Destiny with me <laughs> on PS5, like I'm all about Destiny 5. Like I just want to like shoot stuff in space. Like it's a, the straightest thing about me, but you know, that's about it. I was in the LA Times, so like look that up, Avengers Campus. Look that like, up. Bitch is famous. It's just very strange. My life is strange. And um, I so much appreciate you having me. Like, I'm so proud of the so much work that you put into this whole thing and any like contribution I've been able to make. It's it's an honor. So thank you, babe. I love you. I love you so much. Oh, same. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram 
at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus a link to the Cerebro Fan Discord and the new merch store at Cerebrocast.com. You can support Cerebro on Patreon at patreon.com slash Cerebrocast for $5 a month at the House of Zaladane tier. You can receive two secret file bonus episodes each month. There are three available now and more coming. Anthony Oliveira and I are recording next week, so keep your eye out for that. You can write in to Cerebro with your questions at cerebrocast at gmail.com. Next week's episode will spotlight Gavidra 7, Shatterstar, Warrior of the Mojoverse. You can send in questions in advance for my episode on Roxy Washington, a.k.a. Bling with Steph Williams. I have really appreciated the response to these Pride Month episodes so far. I realize they've been a little behind schedule, and I appreciate your patience. I just have a lot going on because uh, it's Pride Month. <laughs> it's very gay to be late, I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't think North Star is going to be mad at me if his episode <laughs> is late because I needed to go to Pride, right? You know, like that feels like he would get it. Thank you, as always, everyone, for listening and for your support. I appreciate you so much. And until next time, bye. Goodbye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is 